0: I think we're going and so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to try to answer as many questions as we possibly can uh, we're going to try to um, we won't be able to go super in depth with every question we're going to we want to try to move hopefully through uh, the questions as quickly as we can so we can get to as many of them as we can um, a lot of you we asked you to guys to leave questions in the comment section of edgar's first uh, part one uh interview video. And so we got a handful of questions there. And then also some of you might have seen like three or four days ago in the community tab of uh, the Great Light Studios channel. I, I asked uh, if you could ask a former member anything, what would you ask? And so we got some questions um, there as well. So um, with that said, what I what I, I wanted to mention too, we had a couple new um Patrons that jumped on, and I was I <laughs> was going to write down their names so I could give them a, a quick shout out by name, but I forgot to do that. But uh, to those who we had a couple people in the past couple days join our monthly Patreon team, and so um, you those of you who who did recently join, um, we are so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. That's a huge help. And continuing to do this, um, I'm kind of at a point where. I'm, I want to spend as much time um, focused on this as far as creating content. Uh, I We've talked in the past about building a website, um, kind of focused on this whole topic. I think that's a hugely important thing that needs to happen um, in, in providing uh, resources for people, whether they're in the group or uh, family members who have lost family to the group. Um, Whole, a whole variety of people that I think would benefit from a really, um, in-depth website that deals with, you know, all the arguments, um, that they use and, and stuff like that. And so, so all that to say, there's just a lot that I want to do. And, and so th- the best way you can possibly support that is by joining, uh, the monthly, um, becoming a monthly patron on Patreon. And so to do that, you go to patreon.com slash great light studios. And so, yeah, again, thank you for those of you who have, joined um and and we're, we're giving away five t-shirts to the next five or it was to the next five people who join and so i think there's still a couple free t-shirts that will be given out so with that said um we have edgar and kelsey on with us tonight and it, again i told edgar as he joined like i i still am in somewhat in disbelief that this is happening that Edgar is here with us. Um, if you haven't watched his uh, his part one testimony video yet, I would really recommend that you go and listen to his his story and listen I think he's shared so many good thoughts and and as if you if you watch that you you know what I what I kind of talked about at the beginning of that video that it's all this that we're doing in large part is Edgar's fault. He's to blame for, for so much of this, because, um, it it really was that initial conversation that I had with Edgar, uh, three or four years ago. He was one of the first, uh, WMSCOG members that I sat down and and had a debate with. And, and because of that, uh, really motivated me and, and Jesse to start making videos. And so, um, yeah. So the rest is history. So yeah. Anyways, uh, again, this is, this is cool to have Edgar on with us for the first live video and I'm sure he'll, he'll be back for more. And, and then of course we have, um, Kelsey, um, my faithful sidekick or, or I don't know, I feel more like I'm the sidekick. I'm nope. more the Robin to your Batman. But...
1: Nope. You the Batman. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so, uh, if, if you guys if there's any audio troubles, if you guys uh, can't hear any of us, just let us know in the, the, the comments. Um, and we'll, again, this is new, new platform we're using. So if there's issues, we'll just want to make sure we get a, uh get those fixed. So with all that said, we're going to just jump right into um, some questions. And some of them <clears throat> I think were aimed for Edgar specifically. Um, And again, Kelsey and Edgar, if you can kind of be looking for questions um, and, and, but I do have one that I think would be a fun one to start out with. And this was from, um, I know I'm not going to pronounce this right, but Shamilka Angelus, who said uh, her question was, uh, and let me, I can pull this up here. Um, Her question was, do we still have to keep the Passover to be, Saved, So um, that's a great question. Mm
2: -hmm. And so
0: you guys have heard my thoughts on that. What I'm interested in is uh, to hear Edgar's thoughts. And so Edgar, if if you have some thoughts on that, I'd love for you to just give a, a quick response to that question. Do we still need to keep Passover to be saved?
2: The short answer is no. Um, It's actually, when you read the Bible, when you read the Gospels, and you read the whole New Testament, you understand that faith in Jesus Christ is the most important thing. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father.
0: No law,
2: none of these traditions can save you. Now, this is one thing that I want to make very clear, because I already know that even me, myself. Me, myself, being a church member that was very zealous, that was uh, always ready to, you know, not just say things on on the computer, but I would literally go out and, and defend this tooth and nail, walking into other churches. Jordy could tell you that, you know, I would, I would meet up with whoever it was to, and to defend the so-called truth. So one thing that I know right back is members are going to think so right away. He's saying the Passover is not good. He's going against mm-hmm. God's words himself. He's, he's twisting it. He's, he's an evildoer. But I'm not saying that. My, my point is this. Is, it's not that Passover is good or that Passover is bad. Passover is true. Passover is in the Old Testament. It's mentioned in the New Testament. But was it ever mentioned for salvation is the point. And I mean in context, it's easy to twist anything and to say that, you know, Passover is required for salvation by taking a verse out of context without understanding the whole chapter or the whole book as a whole. But the short answer is no, the, the only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ. The best way to put it is that all these things that people say that are, you know, are laws that are going to get you to heaven, We need to remember that the book of Galatians chapter 3 talks about the law being put in place to lead you to Christ, not the other way around. The Christ wasn't put in place to lead you to the law. The law was put in place to lead you to Christ. Jesus was the Passover lamb. Jesus was the Sabbath day. Jesus is all these things. Jesus is the reality. He through through him being the Passover Lamb is what gives us forgiveness of our sins. Through him being the the reality of the Sabbath day, he gives us rest. He is the reality of all the words of God that were prophesied in the Old Testament. That's why in book the night calls him the Word. He was the Word of God from the beginning. The reason he's called the word is because he's literally the words of God from the Old Testament that came two thousand years ago in the flesh, who lived out everything that was written about him through the prophets in the old testament. So that's my answer for that question.
0: Yeah. Yep. And and I would just say as as I've pointed out a lot, and I think still have yet to hear a good response to this point about Passover is that in the book of acts, you have the apostles preaching the gospel. And so you never see the apostles or the disciples mention Passover at any point. You see multiple sermons preached, you see multiple uh, individuals and groups of people being saved, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being counted as as righteous before God, that whole idea. But you never see any mention of Passover. So my question would be to a a WMSCOG member would be, in the book of Acts, do you see, do you ever see the full gospel message being preached? If the answer is yes, then you have to conclude that Passover is not part of the gospel then, because, because they don't mention Passover. If you say no, that no, the full gospel message is not preached, then that's quite confusing. That The author of the book of Acts did not see it necessary or important to include the full message of the gospel in that entire book or to record the disciples faithfully proclaiming the full gospel. That they would have left certain, like, not only left, like, some elements of salvation out, but left the core way of receiving salvation. Like, why would the disciples have just left that out of their preaching? There's that makes no sense. And so the fact that you do not see the apostles mention Passover in the book of Acts, I think is a huge uh evidence that Passover is not what the WMSCOD teaches it is. And it, like Edgar says, this isn't a matter of whether Passover is good or bad. Uh if you want to keep Passover, as we've always said, you should do it um in a in a you know, if that makes you it feels like it brings you closer to God and whatnot, that's fine. Um but I think it's. But when the WMSCOG dogmatically states that the Bible teaches that Passover is a requirement for forgiveness of sins and things like that, I think it can be pretty evidently shown biblically that no, that is that is not the case, and you cannot make that case from the Bible unless you use the 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 you know the jumping around and and um, reading into the text it, rather than reading out of the text sort of um, way of handling the Bible that the WMSUG um, uses. So,
1: Or looking at and, the context, too, in which those right. verses that they jump around uh, mention, like John 6, and 54. If you read just the verses before, Jesus explains what it is to eat his flesh and drink
0: his blood. Right. And this is something, uh, Passover is something we've, we've mentioned in so many other videos. So if you want to hear more about our thoughts on that or about, you know, the verses Kelsey just mentioned that I know are really big for for the WMSCOG. Um, I'll, I'll try to remember to put links to some of those videos in the description, but go ahead, Edgar.
2: You actually had one more uh, point. I know we're trying to keep it uh, short and sweet, I want to mention this because this is something that I should have mentioned in my first video, is um, one of the things that I forgot to mention is when I said that I was, you know, leaving the church when I started having these doubts, I don't want members to think that right away, uh, as soon as I start having these doubts, I just went, you know, to not go into church or to to not believe in God or not try to go through the church. I had so much faith and trust in the church that before I fell out, before i walked away from there i actually set it up to uh ask questions i i, I talked to a, a brother that's that's an assistant at the church and I, I told him what was going on and i told him set it up to where i can talk to the highest person that's available to me so that i can ask these questions because i need these questions answered and I feel that, you know, this is the best, instead of going out and asking someone my way, uh, because I was such a devoted member, is let me ask the the highest leader I can ask in the church. So, and I ended up getting a set up, I had talked to a deacon, but a uh, deacon really could answer the question. So, they set it up to, for me to speak to the elder of the Midwest uh, region. And there was a witness to that, whether or not he'll attest to it, because he's a very prominent member in the in the church, but there was a witness to that uh, FaceTime that I had with the elder. And my question, the reason I'm remembering it now is because it has to do with Passover. My question that I asked him was, if the Passover is as important as we've taught that it is, if the Passover, like the church teaches, is the mystery, the core of the gospel, the Passover leads to everything then why, I find it so curious that in the book of Acts it's never mentioned for salvation. And and we have to remember that in the Matthew chapter twenty-eight, you know, the 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 gospel of Matthew at the very end, at the conclusion Jesus Christ is explaining to his disciples, he's given them a mission to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So when Jesus gives this commandment, the apostles start, begin to carry that command out in the Acts of the Apostles, literally in the, in, in the, in the book of Acts. So you have these, you know, events in the book of Acts where, you know, not only the Passover is never mentioned for salvation, I told the elders that it's so ironic that they don't think it worthwhile to mention how important Passover is for your salvation or for the forgiveness of your sins. But yet you find the contrary when you actually read the entire book of Acts, you find instances where the people asked directly point blank what must we do to be saved right. what must right. we do right and never once right. was it mentioned passover sabbath day any of these things they were not mentioned and so you know we can we can try to you know put our own reasoning maybe not want to see the truth but the truth is in the pudding, like if the apostles are literally just given a commandment by God Himself in the flesh to teach the people, you know, everything. what they everything that he commanded them.
3: Yeah. That
2: was a commandment coming from the from the word of God. Why weren't they doing that? Why didn't they teach the people that when they were being asked point blank period? But they always said repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you and your family will receive gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so when I asked that question to the elder, he he began to try to answer me using the sermon book. Because again, I'll mention this about my opinion, the Church of God and all these different quotes, they have to stick to their script. They have mm-hmm. to stick, and, and this is how you can test it. I don't care how high up the chain of command goes to deacons, uh, missionaries, pastors, or elders. It doesn't matter. Ask them something outside the script that they have been taught, and you will see for yourself how they freeze up, how they have to go back to try to find a way to get back on script. That's what happened to me that night. He, he. Yep. I don't know if he. Thought I didn't have any, you know, knowledge of of the church, but he. Be, I know what he began to do. He began to word for word started to preach the a, a sermon. Uh, it was uh, that the it was the the true meaning of the Passover, and he began to teach that to me verse by verse, staying on script. I let him finish because I'm I'm respectful to this day him for even trying to answer my question but when he was done i immediately called him out on it and told him the what you, the answer that you just gave me has like it has nothing to do with the question that i asked you and you're you literally preached to me a sermon that i already know that i've been teaching people and okay. you know that's not that's not going to work you have to why is it so hard for members to give a straightforward answer from their heart it's because they don't know any. They don't know how to answer real questions unless it's scripted. Mm-hmm. So they always have to go back to script in order to try to give an answer to someone. Mm-hmm. But anyway, can I, uh, can I add on? Go ahead, that just,
1: to, just real quick, because uh, yep. I asked a similar. Because like they have a study called "What Is the Gospel in the Church of God," and I remember asking something similar um, to the point that you guys are making. In that you know the apostles, you know, you never you never see them preaching about the Passover and um but yet the church of god teaches that passover is the gospel the new covenant passover is the gospel so i remember asking the deaconess about that and she put the blame back on me she says well you don't understand the gospel you need to go back and read Hong's books those are other kinds of responses that we get um in addition to sticking to the script as well
0: yeah it yeah it's significant that I've heard that so many times. Just the frustration and the anger that comes out when when you don't just kind of fall in line. And and, you know, if you have a question, sometimes that's okay. But like, you need to immediately accept the answer I give, like that's given to you. And if you if it doesn't immediately solve your problems, then like it just frustrates them because they don't have an answer. And, And of course, like it's it's challenging their own. Thinking, it, it, you know, if they're realizing that they don't have a good answer that's solving this person's problem, then that's going to force them to think, and and obviously, uh, that's an, an uncomfortable thing to do. So, uh, great thoughts. Um, second question is from Heather Ledesma in the comments, and and this is another one that's kind of I think aimed for you, Edgar, because I know you mentioned bringing people out, but. Uh, uh, yeah, so she said, my question is, how were you able to bring other members out? I get a lot of people asking me how they can get their loved ones out, and I'm curious how you were able to do it.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, I can give like an exact – I know I answered her her uh, comment, her question on the, on the comment section. I'm going to kind of give the same answer, but I just want to mention that there's no, like, no uh, – solid way or a a way that works a hundred percent to get someone out at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to the individual and, you know, God's problem. But I would say that one thing that helps me out a lot is, you know, just first seeing like, do they really want to know who God is or do they think, are they the kind of people that feel that they know everything, that they have all the knowledge in the world and they cannot be taught anything. You know, it's very hard to get across to someone like that because, like, speaking to a brick wall, they they have to value God and truth over everything, even be be, a, be wanting to even risk it all in order to know that they're, they have the true God, that they have the true gospel. And, you know, people like that will listen, even if it's not pleasant at first, but they will listen. And, uh, you know, second of all, you know, you got to do a lot of prayer. You know, I, I pray a lot for all the people that, you know, that I talk to and hope that God opens their their hearts and their minds, you know, to the message. And then also you have to be willing to listen to them, you know, hear them out. Also, we don't want to come across as, you know, I know it all and, and I'm always right and you're always wrong. No, my thing is let the Bible do the talking. Right? God's word is, is the ultimate authority and And it's what helps us. It's what helped me. And then, you know, the last thing is we have to be ready to to get answers, even to those tough questions. And, you know, obviously it's not easy. Sometimes you're going to get put on the the spot, but it's not supposed to be easy. You know, uh, that's why as Christians we have to realize how blessed we are, you know, having the scriptures in totality, you know, as to where you look at, you know, the early church 2,000 years ago. You know, they were carrying around one letter, two letters, and, you know, struggling to get them across churches, being persecuted, being put to death, you know, and God blessed us with having the, the whole, you know, Bible. And so we, we should not take that lightly, but we should, we should study it, you know, and, and in the Bible has all the answers. And so that would be my suggestion of what I found has worked for me so far.
0: Okay. And so that was another question from Rachel Smith, who in the comments asked a similar question. That's a question I get a lot. That is probably the hardest question to answer, because like you were saying, there really isn't like a one size fits all um, answer to that. And there's not one method that's going to work every time. And and unfortunately, I think the, the reality is the unfortunate reality is there is really not a whole lot you can do except for be patient and um, talk to them when the opportunities present themselves in in a, you know, a compassionate, a respectful, humble way. Um, And yeah, and and I think in many cases it takes time. It takes years and that's very unfortunate. Um, I think trying to point them hopefully to, to get them to watch videos or, or some something that would stir up questions that would just kind of start a, a process of questions um, in their minds, I think would be, be good as well. Uh, can I, Kelsey, can I did you have any thoughts too? on that? Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, one thing, cause I get that question so many times. Um, but I think also like another good thing um, to, to help them kind of like, realize because i mean cognitive dissonance is a very it's its a real thing within high demand groups and that's where cognitive dissonance is where like you can show them 101 like you know pr- 101 different types of evidence that you know this this group isn't who they say they are or their teachings aren't as accurate as they as they claim to be um but the cognitive dissonance like it it has it pushes something in their mind that they can't see the evidence for what it is and so um, so sometimes presenting them facts like or pre- sending them you know all this material um, mm-hmm. about like the you know what former members or what you know people like theologians say about the doctrine and so um, one thing that I found that says pretty helpful is to remind the person about their life before the church the things that they like to do so if you have like a son or daughter um or like a family just a general family member in the church you know remind them of the things that they like to do if they like to go hiking before the church take them on a hike you know um just just them reminding them of what they like to do before plants in their mind like oh i enjoyed this i want to do more of this but and and you know it can that can spark their wanting to leave as well and i wanted to like i know I know Steve Hassan is a controversial figure in the World Mission Society Church of God. The church trashes his name, but he is a legitimate cult expert like Rick Ross and um, John Jalalic, you know, all those people. But
0: we should have him on sometime.
1: Yeah, we should. But his book, this book, Combating Cult Mind Control, this one is it has so many tips on what to do to try to help your family members leave. So I, you know, I really recommend, you know, checking this book out and checking, even if you don't read the whole book, at least read the chapters about, um, you know, helping people leave because it's this it's it's been pretty helpful from the people that I've talked to who have been able to successfully get their family members out of the um, out of not only the World Mission Society Church of God, but um, other high demand groups as well. So,
0: yeah, Yep. that's good. So another question that sort of relates to that, um, and this is from the question I asked in the community page from, wow, it's crazy in there is the name. Uh, so this person asked, um, you knew the facts or you know slash knew the facts. What's what's holding you back from leaving or what took you so long to realize? So that's a good question that I'm curious how both of you would answer. Um, again, as quickly as possible, but I, I would assume both of you probably had a moment where you realized there were some things that did not make sense. And, um, and yet you continue to stay in for a time. And so what, what for you, maybe we'll start with you, Edgar, what was it, what was the, the thing that held you back um, from leaving initially?
2: What held me back was, you know, partly was myself because I thought that it was the perfect truth, you know, and uh, the reason why I say that it, it was me is because even though I saw so many red flags, when you're so deep in, you're not looking at them as red flags. So I just, kinda, you know, would brush them or put them in the back burner. Um, but, but what ultimately did it for me, what was the camel that, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back was when, you know, I was alone, I was you know, uh, in the hospital and I didn't have any peace. And I was like, you know, this is crazy because besides what, you know, everyone says, you know, until you're going through something, that's when you really need God the most. And that's when all the stuff that, you know, in these kind of groups where you do the things to justify yourself, that's the moment you should feel the most peace. Well, it was the opposite for me. It was a time when I felt no peace. And, you know, even though I was, you know, confessing father and mother's name and thinking of all the things that I had done and thinking about the power that it was in them and nothing, you know, it it was the peace that did it for me. And then after that, even asking the leadership questions and trying to see if they could answer them for me and they couldn't and you know then start studying for myself i start re-reading the bible you know with an open mind and those are ultimately the things that that made me leave but it wasn't easy and so you know the patience is you know is key
0: yeah so kelsey for you when you started to see things that were problematic about the group but did you ever have a time where there were still some things that were just holding you from from fully disconnecting
1: yeah, for me, it was fear um, because, I mean, I, even when I left, I still believed the doctrine. So the fear came, like, if I didn't keep Sabbath day or if I didn't keep Passover, I'm going to go to hell. And, but at that, by that time I was so burned out that I didn't care if I went to hell because living in yeah. the, you know, living in the World Mission Society Church of God was hell on its own. In my opinion, when I was from my experience, um, so that I mean, it, it, it I mentally checked out well before I physically checked out, and um, so yeah, that, I mean, that's ultimately it was just like the overseer was leaving, I didn't like the overseer at that time, and so I was like, you know what, he's out, I'm out, and so um, I just never came back. And then when I left, I had to have some kind of justification for leaving. So that's when I went and I did a little research on the church, you know, wrote down a bunch of questions, um, and then eventually sat down with, uh, with, a, with, uh, one of the leaders, the female adult leader and presented all my questions. I knew the answers to those questions because, you know, those, I, those aren't the first time like people, ha- people have told me those same questions before, but I prepared one answer ahead so um or one more question ahead so that i knew that it would stump them um so for example like you know when was you know where's the proof that An was baptized in 1948 like something like that and mm-hmm. so um so yeah so that that pushed me enough to leave and and, and i and i'm such an indecisive person like completely indecisive i never want to make life decisions on my own like you, you guys have no idea but this is like the one thing that I did that I never questioned like I left and I never thought, oh, should I have left or should I go back like a hundred percent even though the people in there, most of the people like were really nice and I you know I still you know I still care about them greatly, but I never thought about going back so but yeah. the fear yeah. kept me in the fear of going to hell kept me in until it. You know, fear can only last so long until you kind of over it. Until
0: the fear kept you in, until you realize you were so miserable that the what you were fearing was it was
1: already. I was already going through the it. lesser
0: of yeah, the lesser evil than of, of of the two of staying in. So yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, okay, so we have some more qu- questions we're gonna get to in a minute, but. um, First, I just wanted to say it helps out the the traction of the video if you guys leave comments. So, if at any point tonight you have anything you want to comment or or um, just a thought about the things we're talking about, maybe something that's sticking out to you, uh, if you could leave something in the comments, that's just a great way to help tell YouTube that this video is good and that they should push it out in front of more people. So, um, but what before we get to more questions um there's been two current wms COG members that i just can't resist saying a few things about at least um there's been a f- couple members that have been commenting um regularly a- and they both commented on edgar's video uh one is named david the other's name is oscar and so Um, These guys, we've we've invited them to have either a private phone conversation or um, or come on to a video. And both of them have um, rejected that uh, invitation, um, which is okay, Disappointing, but okay. Um, But I just wanted to I'm going to read just a little bit of, of David's comment. And I just kind of I thought it might be worth just discussing um, quickly, the I guess just this is just such common behavior, I suppose, from the WMSCOG members that do come on and comment. And I just think it's kind of worth pointing out and discussing a little bit. And so let me uh, pull this up real quick. And then if you guys, Kelsey and Ned, I don't know if you guys have. The video pulled up on your end, but if 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 you see anything, so it's it's David. Uh, I don't know. I say his last soul name. Soul brother. Soul brother. Yes, there you go. And soul so there's like there's a soul. It could be, but there's 132 comments in response to um, his original post. So he he kind of stirred up a big conversation. But if there's anything in there as we're talking about this that you want to mention. Um, as we're kind of covering this let me I want but... to say one
1: thing because i i completely i mean david david not so much but oscar i'm done uh-huh. responding to that guy because he because i i've asked so many times please provide proof that onsong Hong was baptized in 1948 and he never answers the question anything right. i bring up he never answers it he sends 500 bible verses that have nothing to do with what we're talking about, and his his comments are really hard to follow. So I, for him, I would really appreciate if he could come on and we could have like, maybe not even me. If he doesn't want to talk to me, it's fine. But if if there could be like a like a like a phone conversation between yeah. the two, because because uh, at least for me, uh, I have I have, I, it's I don't want to waste You're his done. time. and I don't want to waste <laughs> my time in responding yeah. because it's yeah.
0: Yes. Well, at, while we're talking about Oscar, yeah, it's, this is one of those um, situations where it, it definitely is is difficult to continue the conversation. Um, it, it's, it's something where I've asked this, this particular member, he made a, a claim that Aung San Hong taught that Jerusalem is our mother. And then also obviously claims that Aung San Hong uh taught that you know mother god is is real and things like that and so kind of the same deal Kelsey where I simply asked for evidence like if you're going to make a claim like that can you show like I I was genuinely curious is there actually a place where Aung Kong taught that Jerusalem is our mother is there a writing is there a sermon somewhere is there is there anything that that he could point to just to show me that yes he did teach that and what he he told me is, well, just go to the church, go to go to your local Zion and you'll hear them teaching it. And where do you think they got it? They obviously got it from Hong Song Hong. I'm like, no. I was kind of taken aback. Like, <laughs> is that is that that's your answer? Like, so to put that back to you, I you know, if a Mormon comes on here and says, hey, you know, uh, uh, or, or any 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 cult group, what if somebody came and said, hey, Jesus, Jesus taught that. Um he's actually a, a chicken. And um he the only way he's gonna save you is if you wear a chicken feather suit and say bak bok bok a thousand times and I'll say, Okay, you know, where where,
3: where did, did you, did you that? get
0: that? Where did he teach that? Can you give evidence? And he'll and, and what if the person saying that their response is, Well, just come to my church. My church teaches it. Oh, okay, that's that's nice. That's great. But that doesn't answer the question. That means nothing. And so so at this point, Oscar's making a lot of claims that he is not capable of of backing up with evidence. He's he's also made a point to say that evidence, you know, talk about how evidence isn't necessary. um, Evidence isn't important. And I think he misunderstands what biblically uh, faith is supposed to be. Uh, what biblical faith is. It's not just a blind leap into the dark where we just we don't really have any evidence or any reason to believe. We just believe because we're told to. Um, biblically, you see Jesus giving evidence and reasons for people to put faith in him. The miracles he does, his resurrection for, uh, from the dead specifically, like you see, biblically, the Bible emphasizes the idea of evidence as a reason for faith um and so so yeah uh edgar i don't i don't think you really as far as i could tell i never really saw you interacting with oscar but um did you have any thoughts about that yeah i mean i
2: actually have something prepared when we get to that part about what did them two were mostly you know conversating about um i saw the the comments that that they were saying and i mean you know, I just simply made one. I made two statements. One was after a few days of seeing them, you know, uh, post all these comments and say how, you know, uh, basically evade, evading the the challenge of coming on to make a a video or, you know, even if they change their name, don't show their face, but just coming on, interact and let's let's see what the you know what the truth is. They always evaded that, and they always said, "Oh, that's a waste of time. Oh, this, it's it's pointless." And I just simply made the point of if it's pointless, why are you guys on here for two days right. and commenting, commenting, commenting? You would think that that's all a day waste on the Sabbath, time.
0: by the way. That exactly. on all the day Sabbath, day, right? On the Sabbath, yeah.
2: Right. So it's like, you know, you're, it, they're, they're messing up their own Sabbath day and then they're saying it's a waste of time, yet they're, they've been posting for like five or six days straight now. So it does, just doesn't add up. And what I brought up is the reason why they don't is because they don't want to get rebuked. They're scared someone's going to recognize their voice. They know that even looking at the the fact that they're even looking on these videos makes them look bad in front of the church leadership, and they're going to be called people of little faith, or people that are kind of in and out, or people that are eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and so and they don't answer the questions directly like a, like a lot of them. You know, they just want to basically defend themselves by. You know giving a landslide of verses that's not even talking about the topic that was originally brought up and so one thing that's that this is exactly why i wanted to make this video the other day when when we were talking about what they kept commenting about they mentioned the order of melchizedek and the prophecy of king david hundreds of times like if those two things were their most solid evidence for an San Hong being the Christ and so I prepared a little something to kind of give some insight on both of those prophecies so uh, but we'll continue with the questions until then
0: okay I would definitely like like to hear that um, because yeah Oscar for sure uh, for sure has been bringing up the Melchizedek prophecy and, and things like that over and over and so yeah remind me before we end this stream edgar to, let's make sure you you bring that up but i would just say to to oscar and david i think i think well as as for david he um he came in and i think the thing that struck me about him was that his ver- the very first thing he said in response to your video edgar and all that you said his his only response really he didn't respond Like he didn't bring up a specific point you made or any specific like experience you talked about and like respond to that. Instead, he just said, oh, this guy's a liar. Like, why does it, this doesn't mean anything. Why do you think this is important? This guy's, you know, he's just lying. Why do you even believe him sort of deal? And it's just like, what, like what, what has to be going on in, in your mind to where that's your only response to a, you know, two hour long testimony that like yours that you shared that your only response to that is to say this guy's lying and and then again to kind of ran off some verses um um you know probably i think he i don't i don't know he just kind of said probably some of the the normal things about how we're you know blinded by satan and and just false teachers and things like that um so yeah i think that just struck me that that um i'm glad that oscar and david and other members come into the comments and share their thoughts what's what is gets a little old i think is the the immaturity and the the immediate like anger in people like the the members who come on you can just tell they're just so angry which to me says they don't have the truth if somebody has the truth and they're confident in it they're not going to come into the comments like seething and and throwing in like like insults and, and just their you know, so many members, their only response to what we talk about in the videos, again, isn't to respond to specific points we bring up, but just simply say, you know, you know, you're blinded by Satan and and you're, you're false teachers. You're blind leading the blind, you're Pharisees. Like we get that same spiel over and over again. We, we very rarely get like somebody coming in with a very, you know, like a thoughtful rational response saying, Hey, I just listened to what you said. Like, I understand the points you were making. And and here's one point you said, you know, you said this and this, and this is why I think that's incorrect. And this is why I think, uh, that's not right. Like there's never like a thoughtful, rational, um, response like that. I won't say never, but very rarely, I can't really think of any example of that ever happening in the comments. It it probably has like a, a handful of times, um, but um, yeah, uh, David and Oscar, I'm glad that you and other members come into the comments. I'm glad you're watching, even though you should not be according to your own church's teaching. But I do encourage you guys, if you want to make yourselves and, and your group look legitimate, then I think you're going to have to do a, a better job in the way you're responding. Because the, the kind of comments that you're leaving where you just, you know, uh, for David, he just immediately whitewashes everything you said as being a lie. Like that's just not very compelling. that I think that makes his whole position look weak and, and you know that he's not even attempting to respond to any specific points you bring up but just calling you a liar flat out. that just that's not very compelling. That's not really helping this whole conversation. Um, And it's not certainly not making their side look good. And then obviously we've already talked about Oscars. Um, Yeah, just lack of um, lack of even effort to provide evidence to back up the claims he's making. And so, um, yeah, if you're a member and you're going to come in and comment, I would just hope that you would put more thought into it than than what we um, usually see. So um, any other thoughts about that, um, Edgar and Kelsey. It looks like Oh, Jordan,
1: uh, we got we I, got Star Power Fitness. Yep, in the chat. I was just
0: gonna say that. Star Power Fitness is in the chat. Yep. good to have you here, man. I'm glad you're on, glad you're uh, here. We've on. been needing to get together with you.
1: Can we have him come on the live if he wants?
0: Um, you know, we, we I would we, be
1: we have been trying for, for, for months to make it happen. I know everybody, not just you know, I'm not saying yeah. because of him, but because of yep. us too. We just haven't been able to make it happen. So.
0: Yeah. If star power fitness, if I know we've been trying to do this, uh, set up a time to, to get you onto a video. Um, I know this is obviously extremely late notice if you, but if you want to join the conversation, um, you are welcome to do that. And I would attempt to maybe be more of a moderator between, um, you and Edgar and, and Kelsey, but, uh, yeah, if you want to do that, um, star power could you just comment yes or no in in the live chat so i can see that and then um send an email or actually i have your email so if you if you're wanting to jump on let me know in the live chat and i'll send you an email with a link to jump on um so okay did you guys have you seen any other questions from the uh from Edgar's video or anything, Kelsey, that's popped up in the live chat. Anything that you want to, um, you think would be a good um, to answer?
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bypass the Rio pool questions because that's. Uh, I think is we that, know who that is. So yeah, okay. I, could, I, I, I hid, I hid them from the chat. because um, Jeremy okay. actually, if you want, if anybody who wants to see his question, see that person's questions, like Jeremy answered them. You know how we would have answered them. So.
0: Okay. Um, yeah.
1: But I don't think I've seen okay. anything else I, right
0: now. Okay, I have a, I have several questions from the, the the post I put in the community page, and so if if you can, Kelsey, just keep watching the live chat, and I'll read some of these. Some of them I think will be pretty quick. So, one question from uh, Got Smart is he asked or she asked is communal living enforced and or common? Communal living—is oh. that a common thing, or is it enforced in your guys's experience?
1: It's a mixture. It's a mixture from what I've experienced. Because I,
0: I mean, I lived
1: with members, but it wasn't. It wasn't forced. I live with them. Be, I mean, I, I chose to live with them. Um, but I know other folks, um, particularly like the uh, Korean females. I know a lot of them room together, um, and. Yeah, I mean arranged marriages—you can kind of see as a <laughs> a yeah. kind of thing, but um, but yeah. So I think it's I think it's a mixture. It depends on like your status within the church. I think the higher the status, the more the less you can kind of control where you live.
0: Okay, okay, okay. Next question. Um, we've got from ever so Sophie asked. How much of the Bible have you read on your own? So, so either I, one of you could answer that.
2: Yeah, I've probably read the entire Bible a couple of times. Um, the thing is that before I probably read it, you know, a lot of it too when I was still in the in the cult. But I don't count that as really reading it because I was mainly just taking. You know, a few verses from every book, you know, that served, you know, my purpose for arguing with people. And now, the you know, I'm studying a lot of the Bible more, you know, I'm more thirsty now than ever. So I'm studying the Bible every day. Even when I can't physically grab the Bible, um, I'm listening to it at work with my headphones and or in the car. And, you know, I, I got to stay plugged into the Word of
0: God every day. Uh, yeah, so I've, I've read through the whole Bible, uh, uh, two or three times over, over my lifespan fully, and then read through the new Testament a lot more, but, um, I don't know if, if they even wanted to know my answer to that, or if they're looking to you former members, uh, but there you go. You got it anyways. Um, here, here's a good, interesting question. So, uh, miss delicate flower 93 asked. Uh, do you celebrate holidays now?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good, I, you know, I've gotten that question a lot too. That's a, for me now I would say yes. I mean, I celebrated Christmas and um, Halloween, but at the same time, like, like they don't hold, these holidays don't hold any special meaning for me. Like I, you know, I, I still, you know, I, you know, I don't believe Christmas is, your Christmas is Jesus's birthday. I don't go to any church on Christmas right. because to me it's, it's not historically accurate. Um, I mean, I know there's, I know there's other reasons why people celebrate Christmas, but in my mind, that's still ingrained that it's not historically accurate. So for me, I don't go to any church or anything on those days, but I mean, I do like still spend time with my family and, you know, we exchange gifts, you know, we have like a nice dinner. Um, but to mm-hmm. me, like, I could skip that holiday and it wouldn't even, it wouldn't, I wouldn't feel anything. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, Easter, Don't I don't celebrate Easter. I mean, it's it's not like I actively try not to do these things. It's just they right. don't, they don't, they don't give me joy. They
0: don't do like, anything for you. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah.
2: So my, my take on that is a little bit different. So when I, when I look at the holidays, like, um, you know, I celebrated Christmas, you know, and um, maybe not as as I used to, you know, before, but I definitely celebrated. But, you know, maybe one of these days we could have a, you know, a longer conversation on this topic because it, it's yeah. really something that, that I kind of uh, looked into a lot. Like, for, for me, the origin of holidays, I, I'd like to look into these things. Like, that's one of the reasons why I don't celebrate Halloween, I just don't feel comfortable with it, you know. Um, but I don't. Again, it's not about the holidays being good or bad. Even the Bible talks about, you know, Apostle First Corinthians traditions that were passed down. Jesus Christ in the Book of John, chapter ten, he was keeping the the feast of Hanukkah. And when you think about it, that's not in, in the law of Moses, but he was keeping it. Why? Well, that was his custom. He was a Jew, right? So uh right. The, the reason why, you know, I celebrate some of these holidays is when I look into them, you know, like, for instance, Christmas, it doesn't bother me to celebrate Christmas, even though I do believe that nowadays Christmas has become commercialized and it's all about you know more about you know money and and gifts and all these things but when you actually look at it the reason for christmas it was actually a day to glorify the incarnation of god's son and that was the purpose of why they made that holiday whether or not the people began to get away from that that's one thing but the original purpose was actually for the incarnation of jesus christ and so when i think about it it's not about the Bible doesn't give an actual date or a day of when Jesus Christ was born, but I think that that's what actually makes it cool is that they they decided to give a day, you know, it, where we can celebrate, you know, Jesus Christ, not the day he was born, but the incarnation itself, that he came to the world as our Savior to forgive us of our sins. And so I don't find any problem with that. I, I Just like I see that there's a lot of people that, that miss the point of Christmas, there's actually a lot of Christians that on Christmas, they do, they reflect on Jesus Christ's birth, the incarnation, they go to church and stuff like that. So that's why I have no problem with that. I think that uh, holiday keepings itself it isn't going to decide whether you're saved or not but it's it's your personal preference and my my uh, encouragement would just to you know look up the origins and see if in your heart if you feel that it's something for you or if you don't feel comfortable doing it yeah
1: yeah and somebody somebody put in the in the chat too a very similar point that you know chris they said their event i'm guessing evangelist pastor uh told them that christmas was like a victory over other god's holidays and this acknowledgement that god indeed was born into this world so it's not just about the date itself like you said edgar it's like you know it's it's just about christ coming into the world and celebrating yeah, right. that and, uh,
2: yeah. another quick point that that i want to bring up about that is that you know? Because I know a lot of church God members are probably gonna sit here and point the finger, or, or they're watching it with one of their buddies. Or brothers they are gonna say, "You see, he loves the pagan holidays. He's saying that it—that's that okay. why he left the church, and <laughs> that's why he left the church because he wanted to celebrate Christmas." Actually, right. when you th- when you think about it, like uh, they say, a lot of things are pagan. You know, even you know, the funny thing is they celebrate birthdays. Well, if you look at the origins for you know birthdays comes from the greeks that's pagan right this didn't mm-hmm. come from christianity and they and they sure do celebrate on San home's birthday and jerusalem's mm-hmm. birthday so w- why the Bible? But, but but we're yeah exactly and what's their defense well that's god that's different oh but if, so if you try to celebrate jesus you know incarnation that's pagan. but when we celebrate these people's birthdays you know oh that's not again see they 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 use a they're very contradictory when it comes to stuff like yeah, it's that hot, you know, it's even- so
0: hypocritical incredibly hypocritical yes yeah and the other thing that gets me is just concerning sunday sunday worship um, for for one thing there's just such a misconception that the WMSCOG members are taught um that christians believe the sabbath has been changed to sunday which is just it's just false this is wrong i know very few christians i don't know if i know any personally after having grown up in, in the christian church for 30 years that believe that sunday is the new sabbath or that sabbath was abolished to make way for sunday as the new sabbath um but, you know, it's, it's just the idea that what Christians do that the WMSCOG condemns is Christians will go to a church service and, and listen to a sermon, um, sing worship songs. And, and for some reason, that is condemned by the WMSCOG as being some horrible, evil, sinful practice, simply because it, it's, it has some sort of ties to the sun god. Or, or, something like that. But, but the thing that's ironic to me is, is I'll ask you to this. Isn't it true that, that as WMSCOG members, you guys would go to church on Sundays and, and attend services. Is you that know, it's right funny. or wrong? It
1: is sometimes the resurrection day that the WMSCOG celebrates fall, like fell on the same day as Easter. Which is funny Mm -hmm. because the whole argument about Christmas, they can't celebrate Christmas as Jesus' birthday because it falls on December 25th, which has, you know, all these pagan origins. But yet we celebrate, we can celebrate Resurrection Day on the same day as when everybody else celebrates Easter. And yet there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So and not only that, but you know all the things that you just said that people do on you know on on December 25th like they might go to church sing songs, listen to you know stories about Jesus' birth, right. I mean we have to celebrate onung Hong's birthday. We have to celebrate Don Gil Jaw's birthday. We go to church sing songs, study about them, right? It's the same thing. But yet we have to celebrate those days, but we're not allowed to celebrate Jesus' birthday. And, sorry, one other thing, because it just popped up into my head. No, you're In good. Two, I think it was 2012 or 2011. One of those years, Ansang Hong's <laughs> birthday actually fell on December 25th. And we had to go to church that day and celebrate it on December 25th. So it's just a whole lot of, That's like, yeah, and I actually saw I actually saw a whole family walk out of the church that day because of that, and so it's like it's just there's there's a whole lot of contradictions involved in all of that.
0: Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's incredibly contradictory when it comes to their accusations um, against Christians for yeah things like Christmas oh, okay. and Easter and, and, and all that.
1: And Star Power fitness, uh, put a put a comment in there saying do we have idols when we commemorate the birthday of father and mother Um, and the thing is is there's uh, what idols do people have for Christmas I mean I'm thinking that Star Power Fitness you know correct me if I'm wrong but I don't know if you're referring to like the cross but I mean not I mean I there's many Uh, I I would I would
0: assume he's, he's he would probably be referring to a Christmas tree right
1: oh Christmas tree but people don't use the Christmas tree for the birthday of Jesus,
0: do they? So,
2: so I would like to Go put ahead, my, my input on that. Like, you know, I attend a church, uh, Church of Christ, and it actually, you know, the, the sanctuary doesn't have a cross. If that's what they think, you know, Christmas, it doesn't have a Christmas tree. And again, this is, this is classic World Mission Society Church of God thought reform. When, when you enter that church, mm. they give you, they give you a, a, an idea. Basically, they're telling you what other churches are like without knowing. They just judge everyone. And yes. it's funny because there, yeah. there's a few people exactly. that say, oh, um, you know, don't, don't talk about us. Like, uh, why would you insult the truth? This, this makes me upset. This makes me angry. We have to put stop to this. They're slandering. But that's what they do on the a mar- much larger scale every day. When they're out preaching to people, they're preaching to people saying that they're in Babylon, that they're in darkness, that they're following, they're worshiping idols, and they're pagan, and, and they're going to go to hell, they have the mark of the beast, and unless you come to this church and this church only, you cannot be saved. So, and, and, you know, again, I understand, uh, what is it, star, power, fitness, like, I, I, get, I get the point because that's something that I would have argued being a member of the church back in the day, but you to do your homework you got to stop, you know, we have to not be biased because if you're, if, you know, again, I just mentioned an example of a church that I go to that has no idols, considered idols by, by people of the Church of God, but there's no so-called idols in that church when I was there during Christmas or any time, you know, for that matter. And another thing is, you know, the Church of God said that the cross is an idol, Well, maybe, you know, next video you guys can pull up that shot on that account on Instagram where uh no An San Hong and Zhang Yo Jar in that church and that altar and they got the the cross cross, the cross on, on their right side and then Jesus being a picture of Jesus on the other side. And so I would ask, you know, is that what, what happened there? If we're being consistent with the question that I'm being asked, then what So it's okay for God to, to be around the idols, you know, to have the idols in the church they were attending, but not good for us. And if idols is really what you guys say is what makes the church of God separate than everyone else, then again, we go back to the, you know, you guys get mad at Christians for saying that. Christians use the, the cross to remember Christ, and, and they, they accuse the, the church by saying, you know, even just using it as a remembrance, just because you, you have it as, as remembrance or you have it on your church, it's bad. You shouldn't even have it to remember it. Well, if I'm not mistaken, many of the Church of God that I've went to, and trust me, I've went to a lot of them, they have pictures of the Last Supper, they have pictures of Jesus tending sheep. So using your own logic, is that an idol? But I understand their response. Oh, we just used the Last Supper, even though we know that's not really Jesus, that's not really the disciples, that's not really what the scene looks like, but it helps us remember the Last Supper, mm. right? So when it comes right. to when Christians try to say that with the cross, they don't care. We're idol worshipers. We're don't going stand. to hell. Yep. And, and it's always like that. So do your homework, members. Like I really encourage you, look into early Christianity, look into the Bible. You'll be shocked.
0: So yeah. So Star Power Fitness listed as his examples of what the idols would yeah. be. He said Christmas lights, presents, stocking, tree, etc. So my question, Star Power Fitness would be this: biblically, what makes an idol an idol? Is an idol an idol simply because somebody has decided that? that it's an idol or that it's an object of worship for them uh doesn't the bible teach that god that man looks at the outward appearance but god looks at the heart and and didn't the sermon on the mount jesus teach that what really matters is what's going on in the heart and not these outward things um so what makes idolatry idolatry isn't you know uh, tvs are idolatry for for our idols for so many people um uh, clothing is an idol. Some people worship their suits and their ties and their fancy the, their fancy clothes that they wear. But WMSCOG members wear suits every Sabbath day, do they not? Aren't they required to? Well, who invented suits? Um, I actually researched this once, and I'm pretty sure it was a, a pagan uh uh i can't remember if this was like a satan worshiping person but it's somebody like an you know somebody who according to the WMSCOG is a not good person who came up with the whole concept of a suit and tie but yet you guys wear these in your church services and and so i'm not saying that by doing that you're you're you know worshiping satan or something but but according to your own logic would have to you would have to say that about yourselves uh you could also bring up things like like the the queen's award or the you know the the things you guys your plaques and things you would have up inside your buildings to like show off your your good deeds Um, well that's an idol like you guys emphasize so much like at the first time i went to a a church that was one of the first things members did is they brought me over to their wall and started like trying to explain how great they were because of all these awards they got and um, that, you know, biblically, that that's the essence of idolatry. It, it, it's it's worshiping something um, above above God. And so, I would just say that um, the last thing about that would just be to go and read Star Power Fitness. I'd encourage you to read First Corinthians chapter eight concerning this question about Christmas uh, worshiping on Sunday, having crosses. Um, First Corinthians chapter 8 is all about food that has been sacrificed to idols. And Paul is trying to address this question of what should you do? Is it okay to eat food that has been priorly sacrificed to an idol? So in that day you had these meat markets and some of the food had literally been taken into idol temples and, and put on altars and, and offered as a sacrifice to pagan gods and, and false deities. So the question that Christians had was, uh, is it okay to eat this? And Christians were judging, certain Christians were eating that meat and Christians were judging them saying, that's evil, that's wicked. You're worshiping idols. You're partaking in idolatry when you eat that meat. So they bring in Paul. Paul comes in to address the question and to to bring clarity. And read 1 Corinthians 8 and you're gonna see what Paul says is he doesn't line up with the people who were accusing the, the people who were eating that meat. Rather, he says, it's, it's, it's okay. Like each one should decide in their own conscience, what, whether they're going to eat or not. And he says, we know that there's these idols are nothing. They don't actually exist. And he says, there's only one God. And so when these, the, this food is being sacrificed to idols, we have knowledge that tells us that nothing actually happened there. There wasn't actually a real exchange that went on when somebody offered that meat to an idol because the idol is nothing. And so, Paul's point is to say, look, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, you are free to eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol. Okay, so how does this apply to all this? Well, what's the whole point the WMSCOG emphasizes? Well, they say, you can't celebrate Christmas. Christmas has been sacrificed to idols. You can't worship on Sunday. Sunday has been offered to pagan gods and, and false worship of the sun. Like, that's evil. Well, if you just apply this principle that Paul clearly lays out in first Corinthians eight, he would, I think, I think there's no question in my mind, what Paul would say if I said, okay, look, Paul, we got all these people accusing Christians because they're, they're celebrating the birth of Jesus on this day that has been sacrificed to an idol. Paul would say, well, an idol is nothing. We know that an idol is nothing. We know that there's no God, but one and, and you have freedom to, to, worship God on that day or to not. So all that to say, we could we could spend a whole video talking about that that subject. But read, I would just really encourage you, uh, Star Power, and anybody, any other member who's uh, thinking about that or who wants to think about that, who wants to be challenged on that, read 1 Corinthians 8 from start to finish. Read the whole chapter. Uh, that would be my encouragement. Don't just take one verse here or there, but read through the whole chapter. Look at this principle Paul's laying out. And then ask yourself, can you continue to biblically accuse people who who, uh, celebrate Christmas and Easter and all those things? Do you you have a biblical basis to make those accusations based on 1 Corinthians 8? Uh, That would be my uh, challenge uh, concerning that whole uh, question. So, okay, Kelsey, you've been looking at the comments Has anything popped up? I know I'm sure we've missed some questions um, and I want to make sure we we get as many of those as we can. Have you noticed any questions come by that you think would be good addressing? And I think we have maybe a couple left in that from that post that we've been reading off of. But I wanted to get some of the live questions as well.
1: Yeah. So Star Power Fitness is, you know, respond. I'm not quite sure. Maybe maybe you guys understand the context, but um, while while you were speaking, he posted Matthew chapter twenty two verse twelve through thirteen. Um, I I think this is the verse where it says, "Friend," he asked, "How is it that you are here without wedding clothes?" But the man had no reply. Then the king said, "His aides, bind his hands and feet, and throw him into the outer darkness." I'm not sure the the reference to uh, that. So I,
2: I hope they're not talking about the the suit and tie thing that Jordan was uh, talking <laughs> oh, no. about because that oh, would I be think he totally was. out of yeah. context.
1: No, you're right. You're right. I think he was because he had a few comments before he said regarding suits and ties. Ooh, that yeah, close to that.
2: that's a very that, irresponsible way to interpret that yeah. verse. That yeah, so if, if that's what if that's what you mean, star
0: power, that's yeah, that's rough. yeah. salvation or
2: or uh, or acceptance to the kingdom of God depended on wearing, you know, the most beautiful clothes. Then a lot of the people 2000 years ago that were martyred wouldn't have been worthy.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so just to clarify what it, it, store yeah, so power you can say- you can correct us if if we're wrong, but what we're getting is that you're saying in response to us there's there's the parable of Jesus comes into the or the the king comes into the wedding banquet he sees somebody who's not dressed properly and so that that person is cast out and into outer darkness. So it seems like your implication then is that that is your reasoning for why you, as WMSCOG members wear suits to church. So basically what I get from that is that then you have to worry that if you don't wear a suit to church, God is going to kick you out of heaven. Um, so yeah, I it, will it,
1: say, I will say when I was a member, I I didn't hear that explanation, but I could believe that it was taught maybe in other branches, but we were taught. I mean, my branch was taught we should be wearing, suits for services because it's like they use the example like if you meet a president right are you gonna wear like gym clothes yeah. to go meet the president like you're gonna be you know dressed up so in the same way like that's how we should present ourselves before god um so and and,
2: and and you know that really honestly just hearing that like i could buy the most expensive suit in the world but if my heart inwardly is not yes. towards god then what is the what is the point I mean, it is that is just so. uh,
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, so. Yeah, yeah. My question, star power, would be: Is the God that you are serving and worshiping? Do you this is this is an honest, genuine question that I would really challenge you to think about the God that you're worshiping, that you serve. Do you truly, in your heart, believe that? What that God is really focused on, and He's it's a huge priority to him, is whether or not you wear a suit and tie to your church services or not. And and it's so important to him, in fact, that if you do not dress properly, you are you are forfeited to be thrown into hell. In other words, God is going to cast you into a furnace of fire on the basis of whether or not you wear a suit and tie to your church service. If that's the God you you worship, I'm just going to say to you, Star Power Fitness, very clearly, I personally want nothing, absolutely nothing to do with that God. Um, and, and I'm surprised that you would, um, So one last thing with that, I would just bring up James chapter uh, two. Um, Let me find this really quick. So James chapter two, verse two, I'm going to go ahead and pull it up. Oops. Bear with me.
1: And I do have another question lined up after this. That's pretty good. Yeah.
0: So I'm just I'm just gonna wrap up this whole conversation about suits with this this verse because I think it's it's fitting.
1: He's saying that he didn't say anything about salvation.
0: Okay, well that, that that parable you mentioned is a clearly a salvation issue. You know, again, you have you have the guy being cast into outer darkness, uh, you know, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh yeah. so I I what if it's not a salvation thing, then what is that? Is that guy going to heaven? Is that outer darkness him being put into the heavenly kingdom? Um, I, I don't think so. He's saying um,
1: that's that's it's just about being proper and showing reverence, but even when I was in the church, that's not what I was taught. Um, I was taught that that's that's talking about like you know, we had to be prepared so that we can enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. I was yeah. taught when I was a member that that was a salvation related thing, so. Um I'm not sure where where he's coming from unless unless the church changed it but that's how I learned it.
0: Okay. So James chapter 2 verse 2 it says suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you lavish attention on the man in fine clothes and say, "Here is a seat of honor," but you say to the poor man you must stand or sit at my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he has promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Okay. So you have these two different people. You have those in rich clothes with gold rings and fancy dress and you have those who are poor and can't afford anything they're coming into the church service in rags and james the brother of jesus is condemning what what was probably going on in reality in certain uh, church groups where they would honor those who came in in rich clothing And they would say, hey, come sit, like come sit at the best seat. You come sit at the front of the table. And then the people who came in with with, you know, dirty clothes and they probably hadn't had a bath in a while. They didn't have the money to to buy nice things. They were kind of like pushing them off to the back. They didn't really want them to be at the forefront. They're giving them like the lowly spot. Um, First off, I've heard multiple stories uh, of Homeless people coming into WMSCOG services and then quickly, promptly being escorted out of the building by deacons and pastors. Oh, I've seen and, it. I've yeah.
3: seen
0: it. Which, which is like the clearest, most blatant uh, uh, disobedience to this passage that I can possibly think of. But here, what you're you're seeing is that God, if if James the the disciple of Jesus is not concerned in telling Christians not to be concerned with what people are wearing. Then, um, certainly, that is what is also in the mind of of God. That God is not basing His approval on of somebody on what they are wearing or not.
1: So he's saying that proper clothes represents Christ's clothes, and then the quotes a couple of verses. But the thing is, is he said about suits and ties.
0: Right. So, yeah, I, so, I would let's let's try to move on from this because I don't want to make the rest of this about this specific topic. We can we can talk about this. more. Yeah. I think I think I would say that. Yes, I think the, I think the point of clothing, you know, Paul talks about in the New Testament, he talks about clothe yourselves with Christ and things like that. Uh, and he says to put on Christ. Um, I think that's very obviously symbolic and spiritual that we're to put on, like the the character of Christ by the Spirit would be uh, what the Bible's talking about. But but yeah, I think I think you would be you're fighting an uphill battle, I think, with the Bible to try to make any sort of argument that God is really concerned with whether or not you are dressed, dressed in, you know, nice clothes or not as if his favor or approval is dependent on what you're wearing. I think that that seems to contradict like the very heart and core of what Jesus's whole message was about.
1: So we have another question. Yeah. That's a kind of a new topic. Um, So this is from, I believe, I believe it's Taishim. Um, Please let me know if I'm saying your name wrong. Um, But this person says, my girlfriend is in this manipulative and invasive church. They have sold her on the idea of unforgivable sins and salvation by obedience. Best advice on changing her mind on these things.
0: Good question.
2: So go ahead, Jordan.
0: No, no, I was going to tell you to jump in. So go ahead.
2: Okay, so, you know, my take is, of course, obedience is necessary. The book of Hebrews talks about it, but what obedience, obedience to what is the question, you know, and so, yeah, if she's, if she's obedient, that's good, but she should be obedient to the God of the Bible, because when we become obedient to these kind of groups, we realize that the obedience asked of us actually is not biblical. They're, they're uh, using us, kind of like you know, squeezing squeezing us like a like a sponge to you know get stuff out of us. And that's not the obedience that the Bible was talking about. You know, through obedience you get refined. You know, it's it's positive things because God is using that obedience to refine us, change us. But the obedience that are in these kind of groups is it's not it's not biblical obedience.
0: Um, Kelsey, did you have any thoughts on that?
1: Um, I, I mean, I, I agree with Edgar. It depends, you know, it, you have to look at, okay, what's the obedience to, is it obedience to like, cause Edgar, you made a really good point in your last video, um, that you, the interview, the part one you do with Jordan, it's like. You have, like, with this church, like, it's not just, like, one thing you have to keep. It's not like you only keep the Passover. Like, you have to keep everything. You have to obey everything. Not only everything that they teach from the Bible, but everything that they say and instruct that's not from the Bible as well. Like, for example, wearing, like, you know, a suit to keep the service, right? The Bible doesn't say we need to do that, but they say we need to do that. And good faith, in their eyes, is obeying not only what they teach from the Bible, but what they teach outside of the Bible, too. Bible doesn't say you need to keep every single service on the Sabbath day, but they, you know, mm-hmm. say you have to not only keep every single service, you have to be there 30 minutes before. You got to be there singing new songs. You can't be late, you know? And so it's like all these things, like, they, they teach that you have to obey. And actually, when I, when I was there, when I was a member, I was told, like, they, they always showed the verse in the Bible, and I forget what verse it is, but it's like, obedience is better than sacrifice.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, to obey is better to sacrifice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because they said even if like you know your your like team like your your group leader is wrong and they're telling you to do something that's wrong, just obey. Because God will God will reward or father and mother will reward you for your obedience, um, rather than, you know, saying something like, Oh, this is wrong or this is incorrect. So
2: let me, let me piggyback off of you, Kelsey, because you brought up a really interesting point to me is that you mentioned about how the church, you know, goes on and on about, you know, you know obey us, and not just with the words of the Bible, but, you know, words that come out of, the, you know, the mouth of the church, right? So, like you said, wearing suits and ties, being clean when you're going to go announce. Uh, they don't, you know... Stuff like that, you know. Uh, pay, You know, someone mentioned in the in the comments, you know, going out and doing landscaping for the church, and you know, doing all these, doing all these different things, and having to go, you know, uh, be a gospel worker. You know, cook food, you know, every day, and you know, all these different things that come from the mouth of the leaders. But doesn't that sound a lot like what they criticize the Roman Catholic Church, their biggest enemy for? Is they cut hmm. they say the Roman Catholic Church is mostly wrong because that they give too much authority to the church instead of God. And they go off of what the Pope says or the bishop say and that they, they have authority to add extra stuff. Well, isn't that what they're doing by telling us you gotta wear a You know, you got to wear a suit and tie. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to. It's just its hypocritical.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So another question um, that we got on the community post uh, from Elusive Bay, Bo, Bay, B, something like that. Uh, They asked, since leaving the cult, have you been attending church? And have you been rebaptized in Jesus's name? I left years ago and still struggle with attending church. I want to be baptized in Jesus's name, but I'm scared to be deceived again. That's a really good question. Yeah, and it looks That's like Edgar, you yeah. you responded to that, but I maybe go ahead and, and respond again.
2: Yeah, that that was actually one of my favorite questions because the one of my biggest points. I forgot to mention the first video was that my goal of doing this is not to just get members out of the World Mission Society Church of God or any cult for that matter and just have them come out and then be confused or just, you know, get on as long as they're out. That's not my point at all. I want you to get out, but I want you to realize that there is a true God. Uh, it wasn't God's fault that you went through this and God had a plan for you. God's a master storyteller and everything and in everybody's individual story god has written out for you and, and it has a, an amazing purpose but you have to trust him. don't don't hold him accountable because of what individuals did to you and always try to look at the bright side of things like you know i could sit here and say i wasted 11 years of my life the best years of my life and i'm never going to get them back and it was all the waste and i'm so depressed and i'm so sad i look at the bright side of things i'm like well god put me in this church it, one thing is I, it made me study the Bible a lot, you know, and because of that, I got an interest in the Bible now. And, and, and I I'm I trying to read the Bible every single day, closer to God every single day, and also the people inside the church. I, I got to meet su- uh, such amazing people. There's a lot of people in there that are really nice, really sweet. I still pray for them every single day. I'm hoping that they come out. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are are my friends. They still reach out to me. I have so many people that are, you know, I'm not going to mention any names because I don't want to get them in trouble. But I'm surprised that there's so many people still reaching out and talking to me, you know. And, and so, yeah, I don't you know, I don't feel bad at all for any of the things that happen. I know it's all in God's will. And, you know, I'm, instead of thinking, oh, man, you know, there was another comment that said, you know, I hope that you – you know that you taught people the truth when all those hundreds of people you led. I couldn't teach them the truth because I didn't know the truth. But that's not something that keeps me down because I wanna instead of looking at it as, as I led, you know, hundred of people in that cult, I can look at it, as, okay, well I'm gonna lead thousands of people out too. And not just from this cult, from any cult, any person that that wants help, like that's what my life mission is gonna be. And, uh, you know, the question about, you know, me personally, have I gotten re-baptized? Am I attending the church? Yes, I'm attending the church. I'm not. Uh, I'm actually, I've gone to like, you know, two different churches. I have a, like a main church that, that I really feel like a, I'm more comfortable at that church. But at the same time, I don't mind going to different churches and I have friends that might be like, hey, I'm thinking about going to a Christian church. Will you come with me to check this one out? Of course, because one thing that I struggled with when I was left the Church of God initially was like, man, now that I'm out, I uh, think there's another church out there, you know, or how, how am I going to go about it? What, if it? what if it's not the right church? What if there's, you know, these churches that are that are wrong? But you got to understand, no church is perfect. Just like in the Church of God, how many leaders have been demoted, and you know, uh, a lot of churches closed down. See, every we're all sinners, every single one of us. When we go into these churches, the first thing we should realize is that we're knocking into a building in the hopes that that building or that organization is going to. We miss the entire you know, point of the church being established. In my heart, I believe that the Bible teaches that one of the reasons the church was established was to promote unity, you know, to encourage one another, to build one another up, to to be able to be strengthened through the words of God, right? And so all these things are beneficial for us, but it's not if I walk into this place, I'm automatically saved. And see, that's what churches, in my opinion, that's like... So, you know, things that churches like the World Mission Society Church of God, Jehovah's Witness, or Mormon churches, Hebrew Israelism, what they do is they not only preach to you that they have the exclusive truth, but they also instill in your mind that if you go anywhere else, you're off you're you're worse off because it's it's you're walking into you know the you to false prophets that are waiting to tear you tear you apart and so you're so nervous to go check out another church because you're taught that these churches are full of idols that these churches are so bad i like to say that in one year that i've been out i realized the huge difference being around true christians than what it was like being all those years in the World Mission Society Church of God. The, gen- the, the genuine things that come from these people they don't have to be, you know, I remember being in the church and, you know, when a new member is going to come down after getting baptized, you know, the deacon or a leader, Come and and form the church okay guys when he leaves make sure everybody stands up and smiles and and goes we love you we love right we got to make them feel it right even if you're having a bad day even if you're you know going through something doesn't matter you better put a smile on your face and do these things and what made me feel like so different when i walk into these christian churches now like the church of christ i'm attending like you know, these people, they're not being told anything, and they, they don't even know you, and they come, they hug you, you know, they're praying for you. They're asking you what you're, what you're going through, what, what the problems in your life are, and how they can, you know, pray for you as a church. And it's so amazing. I've really seen the humility in Christians than, you know, than what I did for 11 years. And as for the question of have I been rebaptized, I don't look at it as I have been rebaptized. I'm gonna say I'm finally baptized because I don't consider the the fake baptism that I received at the Church of God a baptism at all. Um, you know, it, you that's not a baptism because that's not God. And you don't even know what you're doing when you're getting baptized. You don't really understand, you know, what baptism actually is. See, what they teach you is, according to the Women's Society Church of God doctrine, baptism is required only because after you're baptized, you could immediately keep the Passover because you're, you've been purified of your sins, so you're clean enough to take the Passover and become one with God, which the Bible doesn't give an example of that. You know, and they, again, it's, it's all in the context, the way they twist, you know, they try to manipulate a verse and then they'll, they'll quote a verse, add their skill to the verse in order to go to the next one and connect it. But read the Bible in context. Look, baptism, you know, key words about baptism in the Bible, and you'll see for yourself what the purpose of baptism is. You know, uh, baptism itself doesn't save you. These, these works don't save you. I'm not saying you should that you shouldn't do it. You should do it as a Christian. But... Uh, act itself is not what's gonna save you. It's having faith in Jesus Christ. So when you you know now that I was baptized, I realized that I wanted they never asked me to be baptized. Contrary to like what the World Mr Society Church of God, it was all about you. you, you baptized even if it's possible tonight, do not delay, you know, do not this, do not that. I agree. We should we shouldn't delay, we we shouldn't do any of those things once has formed in your heart once that the gospel message has made, been made clear to you and you're making a conscious decision that you want to pledge yourself to God to live a new life. See and here it's different It's just you know keep the you know you're doing this to keep the Passover. You have no understanding of what baptism is that baptism cannot save you. That baptism is not baptism at all. When I made when I made the choice to be baptized, you know uh at the church that i'm attending now it was a conscious choice i made a pledge with god not saying oh because i'm baptizing myself right now i'm i'm more righteous i'm i'm saved now i made that choice to get baptized because i want to serve the lord i want to give my life to jesus and that's why i did it so i hope that answers that question
0: yeah Yeah, that's good. I'm sure that there is a lot in that that that'll be helpful, hopefully, to the person who asked that question. Um, I want to say something got by me earlier. Uh, A Miller gave a super chat. And so just wanted to say thank you for that. And they said loving this panel with a big heart emoji. So thank you very much for that. We appreciate that.
1: We have uh, about two more questions I see in the, the live chat.
0: Yes, I did see one that I wanted to get to. So go ahead and and read so the, the ones first that you're one that I these. saw
1: um, was from Mac Phillips. So and, and I think we can touch on this one pretty quickly. Um, so they say, so is Sunday worship for sure against the Bible, or is that just the presumption that the Church of God has?
0: Yeah. So that that's the uh, the simple short answer would be yes. That that's absolutely a presumption of the Church of God. Um, for one thing historical and biblical evidence can be uh, put forward to show that the early church would meet on Sundays. Um, Now, that that does not mean, again, as the WMSCOG members so often um, falsely assume that that, um, others would teach, that Sabbath day was changed to Sunday. Um, Again, like I said earlier, I don't know any Christian or church personally that I has ever taught that or that does teach that or that believes that. That that's that's a false thing that the WMSCOG tells you about um other Christians. That's just it's just not true. Um but yeah, there's 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 no Bible verse, there's no teaching, there's no sermon in the Bible that would in any way tell you that if you worship God on Sunday, you are for some reason doing something evil. Let me let me ask you this. So like the question again that stumps me is okay, so the the argument is that Sunday has been devoted to the worship of the sun god. Okay, so my question would be so does does god does god because, you know, certain pagans had devoted Sunday to worshipping their god. That means god just wants all Christians to stop worshiping him on Sunday. That means, okay, this day is now, it belongs to the sun God and, and nobody's allowed to worship me on Sunday because they're worshiping their God. So, you know, you guys can't start worshiping me on the same day. Like that would be terrible. You Seventh-day know? Adventists like
1: worship their God on <laughs> Saturdays too.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so it's just like, what, what is the point here? It's just an example of how like th- these, they will argue this, like, to the death that Christians are doing some kind of evil thing on Sundays, but I don't think they've really stopped and thought about the basis uh, of that whole argument and thought about why, like what, what's really going on on Sunday that, that is so terrible. And so like my question would be, you know, wouldn't the God of the Bible like that, that you see uh, taught about in the Bible, don't you think he would want you to, worship him on sunday even if some people are uh worshiping their gods on the same day um and so yeah edgar it looked like you wanted to jump in there so so go ahead
2: yeah i actually wanted a shout out to uh sarah who's on the on the live chat uh
3: Uh
2: yeah shout out to her I've, i've been talking to her and uh, she's actually majored in uh, world history. And, and I, you know, I told her this, you know, when we were having a conversation, I said, the day you decide to make a testimony, it's going gonna, it's gonna to shock, like, a lot of people because she has so much, you know, knowledge and she has proof. You know, she has proof of of these claims. She actually studied history. She's not just claiming she knows history because you're given a book that's called the evidence book and yes. read these articles that later was right. Yeah. Later it was taken away because it can't even stand, you know, up to real history. That's why they don't sell well, it no more. It was
1: taken away for copyright too.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there you go. So, you know, I would I would love for her for one day for her to, you know, share her her testimony, but even some of the things that, you know, she told me, um, just asked a few questions and it's just amazing. Like the fact that the, even the Daniel's prophecy, how it's not even, you know, accurate, like the way they teach. And you got to remember the church of God is not even original They even they aren't the originators of the Daniel's prophecy or revelations prophecy with Rome and the four kingdoms. It was actually the seventh day Adventist church. And I mentioned this in, I mentioned in my first video that, you know, sometimes even they would just print off things from the Seventh-day Adventist Church, like diagrams. I saw the missionary do this and hand it to us so that we could study the diagram. The diagram was actually from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So, again, I say, you know, I say when when she gets her testimony, it's going to be shocking. Like, you know, the Church of God says that that the into ten kingdoms according to the... Prophecy in Daniel. Well, I come to find out that it was actually divided into 12, thirteen kingdoms, you know And she's explained how the 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 papacy didn't even have the the Roman Empire didn't even have that much influence Over Christianity how these churches make sound to be also the the Dark Ages period which as a member, you know is from 538 AD to 1798 AD. We're told 1798 the Pope was captured and uh killed and that put an end to that well i heard a whole different story and i'm so ready for her to uh you know give her you know give her testimony that that would be amazing
0: Yeah. (laughs) yeah so her her question was um she said i keep seeing members bring up and again this is sarah in the live chat i keep seeing members bring up the whole sunday service being established but has anyone actually done any historical investigation? And so, yeah, that's a great question to WMSCOG members. Have, you know, you you bring up these accusations and um, make these statements about Sunday, but have you ever actually done any of your own personal investigation into the history surrounding that? Or have you simply believed everything you've been taught by your leaders?
1: I believed everything. I didn't check up on anything. Cause I didn't, I, I, you know, I, I never really liked history and I was definitely not good at science. So whatever they told me historical, si- historical or scientific, I believed it. And if somebody asked me a question, I just went to the overseer. They gave me an answer. I believed it.
0: Yep. Yeah. So Kelsey, you said you told Kaylee, you said you would bring that yeah. up. Or are you referring so she,
1: to? She, she um so she had like a, she had a, she she asked so who I think I, Kaylee correct me if I'm wrong but I think Kaylee might be a member. She says so who authorized Sunday worship when and why was it changed? Okay,
2: and, and look
1: she, at she's like so it was never one of the Ten Commandments.
2: Look at look at history. I encourage you to not go off of what the 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 sermon books that they gave you or the evidence that book that they gave you or what they taught you. Look at. You know the origins of christianity look into the early work of the church fathers i'm talking about the ones that you know apostle john had a, had a disciple that disciple was able to write you know letters and so did peter and these apostles also had disciples that it was teaching the next generations well wrote, who authorized you know the when how when did it start for Christians to start keeping sunday service you'd be surprised to find that a lot of Christians were worshiping on Sunday before Constantine. Mm
3: -hmm. So,
2: you know, this is some of the research that I've been looking at. And, you know, again, you know, it's it's not about, you know, it's just, you know, to piggyback off of what Jordan said about the day, how he was saying, you know, people accuse, you know, anyone that doesn't eat the Saturday, they, oh, they, they worship on Sunday, but it was given to the pagans or Christmas. And so the pagans, who made every day? Didn't God make every day? So because a pagan does something on that day and a Christian would rather worship Christ, you would think that that's defeating the, you know, the the pagan side of it, right? We're right. trying to give it to Christ. But they say, no, 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 let's just give it to them, yeah. right? Because it's wrong. It's, it's wrong. It's a, it's a pagan day, you know, and it just doesn't make sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Who, who owns the days? That's a great point. If, if. The God of the Bible is real. Then doesn't that God own all the days? And so, when you when you make such a big deal out of people who worship on on Sunday or who worship on Christmas, it's it's as if you're acting like those false gods who may or may not be wor- worshipped on those same days. Like they're the ones with the real power, and we have to tiptoe around those gods. Like we have to kind of uh, base what we do with with the true God. On, on what these false gods are doing and whether or not they're receiving worship. So since these false gods are being worshiped on Sunday, you know, that, that that's too bad. We can't worship our God on Sunday now. Um, and so, so Kaylee, my question to you would be, um, you know, all the history aside, let's put that aside for a minute, and, and whether or not, you know, the early church changed Sunday to the new Sabbath or, or, you know, all that. Let's put that aside for a minute. Let me just ask you something, Kaylee or any other current member, do you worship God on Sunday? Do you go to your church on Sunday? Do you, do you pray? Do you sing songs? Do you listen to sermons? Do you worship God on Sunday? If so, if, if your answer is yes, which I'm assuming it is because your church has services on Sunday, please tell me how is that any different than what Christians do on Sunday? Because I've been I've been a part of Christian churches for thir- over 30 years and what they do on Sundays, you know what they don't do is they don't go in and and put put on the front like a big picture of the sun and then bow down and start worshiping it and, and, and oh. calling out for the power of the sun's ray like that doesn't happen. What they do is they'll listen, you know there'll be a sermon often.'ll they'll, they'll sing songs of worship to Jesus or to God, not to the sun. there will be, you know, encouraging of one another and things like that. Uh, And so, so again, this, this is a real honest question that I'm trying to figure out. How can you guys accuse Christians of doing something so terrible and evil by worshiping God on Sunday when you as WMSCOG members, you do the exact same thing. You're doing, you're worshiping your God on Sunday as well. So there's no difference. So if you're going to accuse Christians and, and other groups for worshiping on the wrong day you're accusing yourself at the same time um if there's something i'm missing there um uh kaylee then then let me know but i that's just something i wanted to encourage you to to think about kelsey you got anything for us yeah anything
1: yeah so diego had a good question um a little bit back let me let me try to find it real quick um let me see. Okay, so and actually, I had I had a similar question to this for Edgar. Um, so Diego says, "What does the church say about this pandemic?" By the way, I haven't heard from anyone from Zion since 2019. Do they take it as a sign of the times?
2: Yeah, so it's actually pretty funny because, like again, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say any names, but a good friend that's still part of the church. Uh, came over to my house a few days ago, and I'm not going to reveal uh, some of the things that he said to respect his privacy, but uh, one of the things he mentioned to me that I think is worth noting is that he had talked about how he's so burnt out that, um, that he heard recently from Mother, he heard direction from Mother, that to th- this year was the year of blessings that this year was the year, and that, uh, you know, th- this year, make all your efforts. And wait, wait, sorry, can end- I
1: interrupt real quick? Can you can you explain for, for everyone and for Jordan, too, what does blessings mean?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, it, well, it can mean a lot of things, to be honest yeah. with you, because everyone twists it to their convenience, you know, like, <laughs> but usually ble- blessings could range from entering the kingdom of heaven, bearing abundant fruit and you know like if a church is struggling with gospel workers they're going to say blessings is so many gospel workers are going to come into the church if they're they're you know uh you know members keeping service and those are the blessings you know but when they start getting to the nitty-gritty when they start saying that this year is the year what they're trying to say is that yes? There's gonna be a lot of blessings because this year is the year, usually indicating we're gonna to go to heaven. That's what they—that's what they are implying. My opinion. But also, sorry,
1: sorry to cut you off. But can blessings also mean difficulties too? Right?
2: Yeah, it it could be difficulties too. You know, they they say that if you're going through difficulties, those those are God's blessings as well i mean like i said they have so many different meanings for blessing but what really is out to me is the fact that they just heard another message from her that this is the year that this is the year of blessings and this year pour out all your effort and it just and he said that at his own work every year is the year and when he said that i was like okay well you know at least i'm not you know i'm not alone in this thinking i'm glad you said it for yourself you know, every year is the year. Every year since I got baptized was the year. You know, this year is it. The next year is it. I was literally, you know, told by a family member of mine who was in the church, you know, that he had talked to one of the pastors that was in charge of, you know, the Midwest at at, at that time. And he had told him, you know, I think it was in 2017, um, make all your make all your efforts this year. Because Mother said blessings are going to be poured out this year. And this year is it. This is the year of resurrection. And if I don't care what you do after this year. Because there is no more prophecies to be fulfilled. This is the year. Jordan. Well, let's see. 2017, 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22. Six <laughs> years. And we're still here.
0: And, yeah. you know. That's a problem. I don't know. I was told
2: every
1: single year that that was the year, that that was the last Passover. I mean, I put this in the chat. In 2010, I remember being distinctly told that the end was so near that Mother could hear Aung Hong's footsteps coming. Like, that's how (laughs) close
0: it was. Jordan Young Young (laughs) in the comments says, man, I thought 2004 was the year. And so if you guys don't know Jordan's... Uh, shared his uh, testimony on our channel in the past, and and I think if I remember right, he was in there for fifteen years or maybe more. But you know, he was a little kid when when he and his family got into the group, and so he was he's been hearing that or had been hearing that for a long
1: for eighteen long years. time,
0: yeah. Um, and so yeah, this is something too, Edgar, that I know we talked about in your interview, and I think this might have been in the part two. That by the way, part two of Edgar's interview will be uh, premiering on the channel tomorrow evening, and so hopefully you will all watch that. He brought up a lot of really good points, and this is one of the things you you mentioned, and and it it was humorous as you were. I remember at the end, I kind of just laughed because it was just humorous as you kind of laid out how you know, you know they would make these bold statements like this is the year and then it won't happen. Okay, well this is the year and then it would not happen and then you know you're all still around in 2022 and the question is like at what point do you look at this group, the World Mission Society Church of God and and see all the predictions they've made over and over and over and say like these these guys don't know what they're talking about. They don't have pardon pardon my french they don't have a freaking clue <laughs> i mean it's just, exactly. that's just that's the way it is guys they don't know uh, and, and also with that that is go and look at at other cult groups like jehovah's witnesses for example and and other groups that they do the exact same thing it's these yeah. end of the world predictions this is the year this is the year it's going to happen. Jesus is going to return. Let's all go sell everything we have, quit your jobs, and let's go camp up on a hill uh, for the next month because Jesus is coming back, and it doesn't happen. Obviously, so what do they do? Oh well, he he returned spiritually this year, but his real return is going to be next year, and then it doesn't happen. Oh well, you know, you misunderstood us. We didn't really mean we didn't really mean he was coming back back. Like we meant he's coming back back or something i don't know he's and, but and really he's coming back the next lightning. year and oh yeah it is it's it, Which is a they common either tactic
1: make, of high demand cults it's they a, put it's it on you tactic. either it's
0: your it's your fault for not being you know repenting enough or getting rid of enough of your sin so he didn't come back or or you just didn't understand what we were teaching when we when we ta- taught that he was coming back this year you know it's you, you who didn't have the the understanding and so guys this is like this is a uh a famous like commonly used uh, uh practice of cult groups that this this is what they do and so again my question would be at what point do you see all these predictions that the wms cog has made and say like that these people enough don't know enough. what they're talking about enough is enough yeah Hey, hey Jordan,
2: let me let me bring up a quick point. I don't know if you remember when we were at I think it was McDonald's when we were having that heated debate and then yep. I, I don't remember what got to that question, but you know, I, I told you you I think you asked me what would it take for you to like leave or r- really realize uh-huh. that that this isn't the truth. And I remember that I told you, you know, the only way that I'm gonna realize that this isn't the truth is if, if she was to die. If she was to die, if if God the yeah. Mother was supposed to die, then oh, how could absolutely. I believe in in her? Yeah, because according to the prophecies that we're taught, she's Elijah and she's gonna go up to heaven alive with the one hundred and forty four thousand, right? So there'd be no, it, it would make no sense for you know for her yeah. to die. The here's the thing, and please don't misunderstand me, Church of God members. I'm not. I'm not saying I wish death upon her or anything like that, but because she is human, eventually she will die. And my thing is, when Ansan Hong was around, if you read his books, he also was very confident that he was the Elijah. He was supposed to ascend. I don't think he really expected, you know, well, he knew deep down, but he was trying to get the members to not. You know, think that his mission was the last mission. He was going to go to heaven alive, and that's why they took the the you know the chapter of the mission of Elijah out of the Green Book. The thing is, when when he died, instead of you would think that just like how I said about Mother, her dying would affect me. Well, I look back at history now. What happened when Hong died? They just spiritualized the matter and changed. Oh, he never meant that, he meant this, and again, they put it on you, and they change the facts, and they just, it's a cycle, and they just get a new generation and a new generation, and it's going to be the same if when she dies, because she's human, she will die, and when that happens, they're going to find a way to, you know, damage control, to try to save the situation on you saying that you weren't ready you know you you you, she couldn't wait any longer she had to go ahead of you so now the the mission is passed to general pastor who is who is fulfilling the prophecy of joshua because they already say he's fulfilling the prophecy of joshua so now he has to you know have the priesthood or he has to have to follow him and something was to happen to him well his son is going to you know inherit it all because of his bloodline and and so on and so on and so on and it happens in all these folks look at the unification church look at all these churches they just pass it down and pass it down and pass it down for the next generation the next generation and the next generation
1: and and one thing i want to add to about that chapter that they that you mentioned that they changed they okay so, or that they, they change their explanation about it is that First they hid the chapter from the people, then when it was uncovered, they had, you know, they created an explanation so, oh, mother removed it, you know? Well, how come she can remove it, right? And not only that, but like they, they, like you said, there's like new generations of people that come in and the church says, oh, we never taught that, or that was taken out of context or something like that, but they never get to see the original. And because the church has changed it by the time they come along. So in their eyes, it's like, oh, the church never did this. Yes, they did, but now they're changing and saying they never said something or that they, you know, change or that they like removed it altogether. They're hiding it. Um, also, like, in regards to like, you know, going to heaven together with mother, like, there was a new song. Um, I think it's the I th- correct me if I'm wrong, Edgar. It's the yeah. we're going to heaven one. They've, there was there's a line in there was a line in there saying that we will go to heaven the, the hundred and forty four thousand will go to heaven together with mother. And then in their newest yeah. version, they removed it. And a bunch of other songs they removed the references to the hundred and forty four thousand, which is just like they say they never taught Crazy. it. It's there in the new songbook, then the next revision suddenly is gone. Like, come on. Like
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. how that's how they, well, that's and- how they operate. Edgar I, I'm glad you brought that up because I I thought about that after our first interview and I wished I brought it up because actually that the question I asked was in our very first meeting um, I believe okay. I'm pretty sure it's our very first time we met and my question actually to you was I said what what will happen what would you do if if mother dies that was the question I asked you because I remember I was surprised by just how honest and straightforward you were with your answer and I remember you did say you said um uh you said it would prove that this is not true and i would leave the church you know something to that extent and and i was surprised by how clear you were i was surprised because in my mind i was like well it's just a matter of time then because obviously this woman is is not god and she's going to die um and so, yeah, I, that was that was significant to me um, that that you answered that. And, but the unfortunate thing is, you know, because at that time I, I thought, again, not that I, I don't wish death on that on her. I really don't. Um, but but to an extent it's like, OK, well, all it, it's really going to take then for this group to come down is, is that moment when she dies. But now I kind of understand more that that's not there's no way that's going to happen because this group is going to. The the leadership is going to find a way to explain it away, and again, as we've we've predicted over and over, exactly what you just predicted, Edgar, that they're going to most likely blame it on the members not being ready, not not doing hard enough work, and so Mother had to return to heaven and And and, general uh, pastors now in charge or something. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it'll be some kind of uh, you know gaslighting baloney like that that they're gonna put in a on, bunch of people will
1: leave members. they when yes. when that happens oh, yeah. like I'd, that, I'd, yep. I'd be I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of hit it from members for a little bit until it gets mm-hmm. like kind of like widely known but I mean a bunch of people I I believe like especially the longer term members they're you know they're waiting to see what happens and when that happens you know I think they're gonna take that opportunity to to leave
0: so yeah yeah I agree okay so yeah. star power
2: Go shout ahead. out to my uh, shout out to a friend of mine who's on the comments section, uh, trying to trying to uh, you know help with the answering of questions. Uh, per- purple light, shout out to him.
0: Uh, <laughs> Hello, purple light. Glad you're here. <laughs> purple light uh, on great. Light. Purple light on great light. The great purple light. Okay. Okay. So Star Power Fitness said something. Uh, a little bit earlier, I wanted to. Uh, he was talking it about
1: Melchizedek for
0: a bit. Okay, and so he brought also... up s- mm-hmm. something in response to the uh, the end of the world prediction. So he, I can't. Oh, there it is. So he said, y- "You all are mocking/slash joking about this is the year." So about the the consistent failed pre- end of the year predictions. Uh, and he said, but John said <coughs> the last hour is here in First John two eighteen. Okay, so here here's what I'd say very simply: what John did not say is, listen, guys, this is the last year, like 20, 2012. This is the year that that Father is returning or that Jesus is returning. he did not, he was not in that statement. Yes, he did say the last hour is here, or something to that extent, in First John. But he did not make a prediction about the year or the time that that um, Christ would return. Uh, You know, and Peter says to God, a day is like a thousand um, years and a thousand years is like a day. And and so, you know, why wouldn't we assume that that's the same thing that's in John's mind, that that when he says the hour is upon us, he doesn't I mean, if you're going to take that literally, then then that means John literally thought that Jesus was returning within an hour uh, within an hour when he wrote that sentence. So he wrote that sentence. Do you think he started like counting down the seconds then like the hour is here. So if you're going to, obviously he did not mean that literally he, he meant um, in a way like the, 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 in times I guess you could say have come upon us, but what 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 does he really mean? I think there there could be a lot of um there's some differing perspectives about what the apostles were really talking about when they talked about the end. Um I think there's my understanding is that I think a lot of times we get it really wrong and we totally miss the context of what we're saying when when every uh, mention of of like the end by the apostles and new Testament writers are talking about the end of the world or the end of like all reality as we know it. Um, I think actually, if you actually dig into the context of what they're saying, I think very often they're talking about the end of this age, that age that they were in the end of the Jewish age, the end of that covenant, that covenantal age between God and the nation of Israel. And there was, and an in coming to that age and a new age coming, which was the, the age of the church or, or whatever you want to define that as. And so I think we have to be careful when you see mentions in the New Testament of like the end times or the, the final hour to not just assume that they are necessarily referring to like the end of the world, because that is not very often is not the case in the New Testament.
1: Yeah, it comes back to reading the context.
0: Right. OK, Kelsey, do we have any other I think questions uh, in there?
1: Oh, I feel like there was another one, but I can't. Let me look really quick.
0: If you guys have questions, um, feel free to put those in the chat. Again, do the at symbol Great Light Studios. It's easier for us to see them that way if you have a question. Um, well, I have so a question have, of my
1: own.
0: Yeah. If you have any questions, have question. go ahead and put those in the chat.
1: Yeah, I have a question of mine. we we'll wait for some more to come in. Um, so this question is for Edgar. Um, so, like, what did the church teach in regards – I mean, this is kind of piggybacking off of Diego's comment, but what did the church teach in regards to, um, like, like covid and keeping the passover because as i understand from um, some members who have left is that if your faith wasn't especially i don't know if it was only for 2020 or extended to you know 2021 as well for those who had like strong faith they were allowed to keep the first passover but those who didn't like were not keeping you know services regularly or something like that they were not allowed to keep the first passover they were told they had to wait so, which I thought, yeah. like, was, like, super ironic because they teach that the Passover is a way to escape disasters, escape diseases, right? And then they don't allow people to, some people, especially the ones that aren't as active, to keep what would protect them based on what they teach, so.
2: Right, and yeah, I love to answer that question. Actually, the, I was, you know, I was still in during that time, obviously, and I have I actually dealt with that question a lot because a lot of the members reached out to me to explain this. Why is the church saying this? Why did the church now saying that we can't keep the Passover? I've been a member for so many years, and, and this and this and that. Now they're telling us that we got to keep Second Passover. And you know the the thing the thing about it is this: they start saying, uh, and I'm gonna, you know, again, I I want to say my opinion because this is actually what I heard. A leader tell me to you know to give answers to to certain members that you know or, or one of the reasons behind it was a lot of these members weren't tithing they only showed up on passover was, once yeah, another a year one, yeah. and and so you know in order to they see they feed off the pandemic all these things are going on they know people are so scared right now so oh you guys can't keep passover you guys you guys are not ready to keep passover you have to build your faith you have to examine yourself until the next passover if god allows then you'll be able to keep it and so it just you know it doesn't it doesn't make sense it didn't make sense to me at that time even though i try to explain it and explain it away i i realize that there's something really bad about that because according to their own doctrine, you know, the you Passover for your shouldn't be
1: salvation basically. Yeah, pa-
2: exactly. It shouldn't be withheld from any whoever's my flesh and blood, right? So why was it being reserved, you know, for only the members that are, you know, doing really good and tithing and doing all that? And you know, what happened was I'll give you i I'll give you an example from my dad. I had to tell my dad that he, you know, he couldn't keep in that. I was like, so now you You got to really show your your face.
3: Imagine, imagine
2: that conversation. I'm, over here, you know, telling my own father that you know he can't keep pastor. He's so disappointed. He's so sad. He's like, this doesn't make sense to me. He's mm-hmm. scared, you know. And I'm like, hey, you got to really show your faith now. You got to do these things. And live. so, my dad, who does, doesn't really wasn't really attending, you know, he he would attend, but not not uh, as often because he has a lot of health issues. And um, you, know, when when that happened, he started in service more and and trying to tithe and all that and then finally he was able to you know to keep the passover what i find funny is like again all the members like they you know once you keep the passover it's like you think you're good until until the next year you know and 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 that's what that's what's so crazy to me you know is that the you know you you do this thing you know i i've heard members like after passover they try to stay holy or try not to sin for a few weeks and then because they begin to sin again so then what do you do well on a day of atonement in the autumn time here's another chance where i my my uh my slate is wiped clean again and I'm good and then after a few weeks you sin again and well I gotta wait till Passover I can sin I've committed these horrible sins but as long as I make it to Passover it starts over again and seeing what happens is you never change your heart because you're you're just constantly trying to keep these annual uh, you know rituals to forgive you of your sins knowing that christ's sacrifice was once and for all what he did took away your sins when you give your life to christ you're supposed to change you're supposed to die to your sin and you know and and these people have no understanding of that
1: okay i just want to just want to point out though like that's that it's just so messed up because people like that because one from my experience one of the reasons because there are a bunch of people that only keep the passover right And so, like, but from my experience, what keeps bringing them back is that fear that if they don't keep it, like, Something bad's gonna happen, or you know, if a disaster or like something like COVID comes around, they're surely gonna get affected because they didn't, if they don't keep the Passover. So it's like to me, it's so messed up that they wouldn't let these people keep the Passover because you're traumatizing them with, like, hey, if you don't keep this, you're like, you're gonna, you're not only are you not gonna be protected from these disasters, but you're gonna go to hell. But sorry, you're not active enough, so you can't keep the first one. So you're gonna be in, like, you know, you're going to be in some kind of, like, um, I don't know, like like some kind of, you know, waiting period for a whole month till the next Passover comes around. And you can keep it then. So, like, they, you know, basically, you said that they have to, like, tithe, right? So, people are going to start giving more money to the church. People are going to start being more active, like you mentioned about your dad, right? So, it's just so wow. manipulative and so calculated. This plant, it's just, it's so messed up. It's yeah. just...
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. So we got a question from um, Rebecca Hall. Yes. Hi, she Rebecca, was the one I was looking for. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So this, uh, yeah, I've, I'm glad she reposted this question because yeah. I forgot about it. Um, so she asked, what does the WMSCOG say Jesus meant when he said on the cross, it is finished?
2: So what they say when when Jesus said it is finished, they say he's talking about like old covenant. You know, the old covenant is is finished, and they say that's the beginning of the of like the new covenant. And I agree with that to a certain point, but that's not mm-hmm. all he meant. You know, right. salvation was finished on the cross as well. It's mentioned right. in the Bible and in, mo- in multiple parts. That was the yeah. time when the, our high priest. Gave us of our sins by the sacrifice of his body once and for all.
3: But in another
2: aspect of it, it was the end of the old covenant. It was the end of the sacrificial system. It was the end of the temple. And, uh, you know, and Jesus Christ was ushering in the the new covenant time, the New Testament time. So that's my answer to that. Yeah.
0: Okay, That that's helpful. Yeah, because like you said, I, I would agree that probably with, within that, there is an idea of it is finished as far as the old Testament age or the old Testament period. And that is all fulfilled. But, but yeah, I, I also, the, some of the verses you just mentioned are, are great. Like in Hebrews over and over uh, again, in Hebrews, it talks about how like Jesus, what he did was once for all. Um, also in, like, I think I know in Ephesians, it talks about how he sat down, Um, at the right hand uh, of God. And, and I think it mentions the same thing in Hebrews and, and this, this idea of Jesus sitting down, um, it's, I think it's meant to convey this idea of like a, a full accomplishment, like everything that needed to be accomplished for human salvation and, and redemption, he had finished it and he sat down. To, to I think in in a way to symbog- symbolically parallel um Genesis 1 where on the seventh day God rested and and it was finished it was good it was complete and so I think in the in the same way Jesus's work was finished and he sat down so yeah I think they um they definitely get that that statement of, of Jesus work wrong i think there's so much more that he meant um that was meant within that statement um that that has to do with you know salvation by faith as a gift something that's already been achieved for us um that's already been accomplished um and not something that we have to work for or tithe for or or uh preach enough to get or keep sabbath enough you know all these things that uh you as members are required to do. Uh, Yeah, I think what the Bible tries to convey is that what Jesus did on the cross did away with a need for that kind of effort and striving to earn something. Um, you You can't earn a gift. If you earn a gift, if you have to work for a gift, then by definition, it is not a gift. But the salvation that the Bible says God offers is constantly over and over described and defined as being a gift. So if you guys are working for it by the things that you do, then you're not, you're not looking at the, the biblical description of salvation, because again, the biblical description of salvation is something that is a gift. If you're working for it, then by definition, you cannot be—you cannot receive a gift. If if you work for something and then receive it, you're receiving a paycheck, and, and that is not how um, the gospel of the New Testament is described. It's not a paycheck; it's a gift.
2: Man, hey uh, Jordan, real quick before we move on to the next topic, I was just wanting to say that um, I want to have a chance to be able to answer the questions for uh from uh, was it oscar and and uh, david that kept mm-hmm. asking over and over about the order of melchizedek and the oh Pope yes david. yes i want to yep. have a chance to address those questions
0: i i think this would be a good time to go ahead and, and talk about that and so what edgar referring to is again oscar um it, i know oscar i can't remember if david did maybe he did but Oscar, a current member, was bringing up multiple times in the comments uh, the Melchizedek prophecy, and so Edgar had some, some things he wanted to share about that.
2: Yeah, so kind of like a, I know we're kind of stretched for time, but I really wanted to make a point, uh, kind of study a little bit about the, their so-called prophecy about Melchizedek and David, because the is you know that the they're there I was reading over the sermon books today preparing for this, and I was seeing how you know in the Order of Melchizedek they basically hang off of you know three points. Basically, the the three main points are: it is what you know he's without father and mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days and end of life. And so they say because of these three points, Jesus, there's no way that he fulfilled the prophecy of Melchizedek, and Melchizedek has to be fulfilled by someone in the future. Well, again, Church of God members, I encourage you, read the whole book of Hebrews from beginning to end, and you'll see who Melchizedek was actually talking about. It wasn't talking about a foreshadowing of another priest coming in the order of Melchizedek. And see, the, one of the verses you guys use in the sermon is actually Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter five, verse eleven. And you guys first mention about you know the you know Melchizedek and uh, the Bible being a book of prophecy. So to study the prophecy of Melchizedek, again, that's assuming that Melchizedek is a prophecy because that's what you've been taught. Nowhere in the Bible does it say Melchizedek. There's a prophecy Behind Melchizedek, that has to be fulfilled. It was actually a foreshadowing of something that Jesus would do. But it wasn't a prophecy in in itself per se. So they say they'll go to a verse like Hebrews chapter five verse eleven, where it says, "We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer to understand." They the brothers even quoted this verse in the comment section. It says, in fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So they love this verse because they say through this verse, you see what Apostle Paul is saying is that he has much more to say about this But it's not for them to understand because they were, the church was in an infant stage. They were not mature yet. The mature, according to World Mission Society Church of God, appears in the last days when Second Coming oh Christ,
0: I didn't know who, that. who is the,
2: yeah, when Second Coming Christ appears, that's when the mature will appear, who are going to be able to understand about the prophecy of Melchizedek that was so hard to understand two thousand years ago. That's but smart. when you actually read that the chapter, or read from the beginning, or after that. You'll understand that that was not Paul's point at all and no. I'm, I'm going to prove it to you I'm going to prove it to you, but I, I kind of want to we're going to go back to Hebrews, but I want to go to First uh, Corinthians. let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter two. and in, in verse six, it says, "We do however, speak a message of wisdom among the what <laughs> mature." But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we dare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the Bible clearly says there was the mature, right? Just in case they want a word play and, and say that, you know, that, that there wasn't. That was not Paul's point. Paul's point is that, first of all, if you understand the context of the book of Hebrews, usually a lot of these letters are for kind of like a, a rebuke and an encouragement to the church. So, there, in the book of Hebrews, there's a lot of issues going on with uh, brothers and sisters that were still trying to hold to the law of Moses. So that's why uh, Apostle Paul is explaining some of them are still not mature because they have they're still dealing with the you know. With the concerns of baptism, the laying of hands, of not sinning, and he's saying, you know, you should, you should understand who Christ is, Christ being the, the most important thing, our high priest, our sacrificial lamb who takes away our sins. That's his point. So another thing that I want to bring up in the, in the book of Hebrews is when they say this is kind of when I start looking into these things, it kind of amused me. Because to the World Mission Society Church of God, and again, it was brought up in the comments so that they know that this is not coming from me. Look at you, you guys have the sermon book, and even the members that commented on the, on the comment section in our last video, um, they brought up about the order of Melchizedek being bread and wine. That's the order of Melchizedek. Well, I'm sorry to break it to you, but that's what the church taught you that the order of Melchizedek is, that it's the bread and wine. Because in Genesis 14, when Melchizedek is mentioned, there's not a lot of things mentioned about Melchizedek in the Bible. He appears in Genesis 14, and I believe in Psalms 110. But in Genesis 14, when it's bringing up Melchizedek, it says he blesses Abraham, and then he present, he brings out bread. So they say, this is the order of, of Melchizedek. And so they say, you know, that's why Second Coming Christ, you know, Anton Hong, he's Melchizedek because he came the same order by doing what, blessing us through bread and wine. Well, I would, I would encourage you guys to do a little more studying on. What Melchizedek and what is believed to be the order of Melchizedek and where that originated from? See, Melchizedek was a was a Gentile, who who was not from the uh, genealogy of the Levitical uh, the Levitical priesthood. He did not come from Levi descent. The only ones that were able to be priests, chosen by the people. Melchizedek was a Gentile, so because he was a Gentile. He he was it was astonishing that he was a priest, but what's more astonishing is that he was king and priest. That's what the order of Mizedek is, is that he was in the order of he he not only held the priesthood, but he was also a king. When you look at Jesus Christ, he was the what he was the king of Israel, the king of Jews, and he according to Apostle Paul, he was also the what? high priest. And so when you, when, when you understand these things, like, for instance, in, in, when we go back to Hebrews uh, chapter 7, it says um, in verse, verse 1, this Melchizedek was king of, of Salem and a priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem means king of peace. So it didn't even mention bread and wine, right? It, just, it mentioned in the beginning of chapter 7, verse 1, that Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High, right? And it says he blessed Abraham. And then verse 3, this is the only verses the, the church uses to say that this was fulfilled by San Sanhom. It says, without father or mother without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. The point is being a priest, remaining forever. That's the thing. And so when you see this, you you see the butchering that the Church of God does. They have to put their own input to it. They say without father or mother means that he was born to unbelievers well again they're assuming they're assuming that they're adding that is that this verse does not say that for all we know if this melchizedek was uh you know worshiping god blessing abraham how do they know that his parents you know didn't teach that to him they have no idea they're just assuming things and they're trying to again in order to go verse to the next where they get you is they have to add what, you know, the, the fill in the blank part, and then you're just taking their word at it, you know? And, and that's the thing is when you already be a a group or a trusted individual, you take everything they have to say as truth. But that's what I'm saying. Examine these things for yourself. Study the Bible. You're going to see uh, without father and mother, without GM without beginning of days or end of life resembling the son of god first of all melchizedek didn't live forever because apostle paul called him a man a human being so what does he mean it says that he it says he remains um it says without beginning of days or end of life resembling the son of god he remains a priest forever not not that he remained forever physically we know melchizedek died but the priesthood didn't change that order of king and priest didn't change and so the, what was astonishing is if, if we look at a at, we look at verse six it says this man however well let's read from verse four just think how great he was even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder now the law requires the descendants of levi there it is, descendants of Levi, because they're the only ones that can be priests. Who who become? The law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people. That is from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi. Yet he collects a tenth from Abraham and blessed him. Bless him who had promises. So when you think about this, what is he saying here? This genealogy is not the genealogy that the church of God brings up. The church of God says having genealogy means belonging to one of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's not true. Look up the definition of genealogy. It's how the, the uh, tracing back one's lineage or bloodline right? So Paul's point of saying that Melchizedek didn't have genealogy, his point was about him not coming from the bloodline of Aaron or the priest of the Levi's tribe because, and he was yet a priest. That was the astonishing thing. That's why this is being brought up, not because he physically didn't have a genealogy, that's absurd. He obviously was born through parents, right, who also had parents, also had parents, so there was genealogy. Genealogy does not have anything to do with being part of the 12 tribes of Israel, but it's a tracing of one's bloodline. And again, Apostle Paul is focusing the sole fact that this Melchizedek, what was so uh, astonishing was that he was king and priest, He held the priesthood, an everlasting priesthood, and yet he did not come from the bloodline of Levi or Aaron. And what's amazing about that is, again, it tells you it resembles the Son of God being Jesus. In what way? Jesus didn't come from the order of uh, or from the bloodline of Levi or the bloodline of Aaron. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah priest didn't come from the tribe of Judah. He resembles Melchizedek in that way. Also, when it uh, another thing that you know another thing that I encourage members, I, I've done my research, I encourage the members to do their own research, but another way to understand the um, the part where it says that he has no beginning of days or or ends of life, you have to understand that Apostle Paul, who we assume is the one who wrote the book of Hebrews, who had a profound understanding of, of the Old Testament, you know, uh, doctrine, or in the Old Testament stories, uh, when you read the Old Testament, it brings up, you know, certain individuals, mostly it always gives you an account of their their genealogy, their bloodline, who their parents were, when they were born, how long they lived, and when they so Apostle Paul who understood these things found it very curious that Melchizedek in the book of Genesis fourteen he only appeared once. It was a very short of Melchizedek. It didn't come with genealogy. It didn't come with who his parents were or how long he lived or when he died. So in a sense, he's saying it's like what he didn't have beginning of uh, end of beginning of days end of life. It's not documented. He, he didn't have genealogy, resembling the Son of a foreshadowing. He's not speaking literally here. And so when you look at Paul's whole point in the book of He, when it's talking about Melchizedek and Jesus, it tells you, it says here in, um, let's see, in verse, chapter 8, verse 1, he tells you, it says, now the main point of what we are is this. He's about to tell you the main point so that you don't have to be wondering what was his main point by mentioning that. Am I not the mature? Am I not not that? Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true set up by the Lord not by a mere human being. And it says here in verse 6, if we skip down to verse 6, but in fact, the ministry Jesus had received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator. It's superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another covenant. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And again, this this. Uh, New Covenant is based on better promises because he's quoting David here where it says, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. How did we obtain that? And when you read the book of Hebrews, it makes you understand it was through Jesus' work. When you read, you know, chapter 9, verse 11, it it tells you the title, Blood of Christ. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, and that is to say is not part of this creation. He did not enter the means of blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, unblemished um, to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So when you when you read this, it's constantly Hebrews is talking about God's sacrifice. Uh, in another part that, you know, that's another thing about Mel- Melchizedek is that, you know, priests had to be chosen by their people, but Melchizedek was chosen by God. And and Psalms chapter 110 refers to that. When you look at Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ wasn't chosen by the people to become king and priest. The Bible had already prophesied God's promise to his son was that he would reign on David's throne. So, you know, my encouragement, again, is you know, we, we can obviously, uh, you know, go go through this, you know, more in depth another time. But I kind of want to give that answer because I want the members to know that I'm not running from any of the questions. And there are, it's, there's biblical truth out here, and you have to put your head in the books and study for yourself instead of taking somebody's word for it. Find out all this amazing truth in the scriptures right in front of you. And uh, do you guys want to add anything on Melchizedek before I jump to the? I think that
1: was like a mic drop,
2: (laughs) that's what I was gonna say.
0: I was just gonna say, boom, I got
1: nothing to add to that. I mean, yeah, it's just basically reading the context. Like, I mean, I for me, I never, I've never read the context, I just, you know followed what they said and you made a really good point in the beginning where you said you know they assume that melchizedek is like a prophecy about second coming christ and that these are the points that he must fulfill but it doesn't like say that in the bible and then as you just demonstrated reading the i mean because they always showed you know hebrews 5 you know 11 through 13 and then hebrews 7 1 through 3 but you never read in or around it and just reading around it, I mean, you can see clearly that that is speaking about Jesus. So,
0: Amen. yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing that is so significant about the supposed prophecies uh, of Ong Song Hong that he fulfilled. As, as you look at the, the basis of these prophecies and, and the rational, logical question you need to ask is why do I think this is a prophecy in the first place? You know, like the, the, the supposed 40 year prophecy, um, oh. that fellow, and it's like, well, where, where are you even getting biblically that that's a prophecy? Um, and so that's something that, you know, Edgar, we talked about, that's something we need to do. I think a whole series on, and I'd love to do that hopefully sooner rather than later, just to walk through, um, every, pr- uh, you know, each of the the main prophecies that supposedly Ong Song Hong fulfilled and, and kind of just respond to each of them. Uh, obviously, we still need to get through the Staff of Moses series. Um, and so I don't know if, if we'll try to finish that before we jump into another series like that. But definitely something um, on my radar that I want to um get to in the future so but yeah th- that's that's a great explanation and that's something that i i don't i i know i haven't personally tackled or talked about i don't know if kelsey or, or steve have uh specifically talked about the Melchizedek thing but i i'm gonna i think we have yeah i think i'm gonna definitely pull that little section make out Edgar, and I'll, I'll make that its own uh clip and so I'm, I'm glad we got that that there now just another uh response to to something like that so um, uh, with that Kelsey have you seen anything pop up um, guys oh, we're, we're probably going to try to draw yeah. this to a close soon so if you have any final oh, cool. questions you want us to get to um, try to get those posted soon
1: I saw one okay. um, and I don't know if we want to I don't know if this is a, a quick one or maybe we want to tackle this one next time this is from um, whatever you say I am which uh, actually, if you check out, check that one out on Instagram, guys, that account's really good on Instagram. Um, it, their, their question is, what is the correct interpretation of Isaiah 60? Because WMS uses that verse to say people will fly to mother in the last days and quote, who are those that fly along like clouds and kings will come?
0: I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with I, that, Jordan. I saw that question and no, I'm I'm not at all familiar uh with that, I actually pulled up Isaiah 60 a minute ago and I searched for the word fly and I could not find the word fly. So I couldn't even find oh, the specific verse that I, they were referencing. Um, I'm, uh, I'm assuming though that um, uh, this is Isaiah, which is, uh, yes. has a lot of very, you know, symbolic, prophetical language that, that is going to be highly up for uh, varying interpretation. So I, 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 got I the verse. highly doubt I'm going to give any substantial answer today. It's definitely be something that I'd want to look into more, but uh, we'll see if, if Edgar has any thoughts on it. Go ahead. What's the verse? Yeah. Specifically? So, Isaiah
1: 60 verse eight.
2: Yeah. So okay. um, I, I do, I, I want to, obviously I want to have a chance to study this more in depth before I give like a full answer on it. But, please 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 we cannot close this without uh giving me a chance to speak about king david i try to make it quick i promise but i have this on my heart that i i need to share this about david concerning isaiah chapter 60 um you know again Isaiah has a lot of this a lot of prophetical language in there but in Isaiah chapter right after that Isaiah chapter 61 it, the, the Isaiah is one it's one story so Isaiah 61 is talking about the year of the Lord's favor when when I see this prophecies of it's basically the, the prosperity of Zion the king of Jerusalem is coming to his throne, the prophecies of Daniel being fulfilled. In Isaiah chapter 61, it even quotes verse one, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. Jesus Christ fulfilled this in Luke chapter four, verse 16 through 18, proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. He's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And at the end of his reading, he says, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. So, you know, as far as every single verse, you know, understanding what what it means, we if you want to understand that, we have to, you know, take a look at it. But I can tell you one thing is Isaiah was foreshadowing Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ's work. And Jesus did bring glory. And he, he was the king of things. Lord of lords, who came to the earth, and people did come to him. People flocked to Jerusalem to meet the Son of David, and and chant, "Osana, Osana!" The the Son of David is here. So they, uh, you know, that's why I really want to get into david's part of the of of this. But yes, Jesus Christ is throughout the whole Old Testament and New Testament. Yeah, and
1: I, and, I, and I had a. I had a good friend just text me who's watching right now who said, you know, if you read from Isaiah 59:20, 20, it basically it's just what you just said to Edgar that is clearly talking about Christ. Yeah. yeah. Jesus specifically. Yeah.
0: Yep. Um, okay. So, uh, we'll try to look at a couple more things and then again, we're going to try to wrap this up soon. Um, I see ahead,
1: one, I see one more question. I don't know if, um, we want to tackle this one tonight, but it's from star power fitness. I'm um, uh-huh. asking about the, what's the name of the Holy Spirit?
0: Yeah, I did. I did see that. My My question is, first, is why do you assume the Holy Spirit has a specific name? Where, where are oh, you getting that from? Oh, they're assuming from
1: Matthew, Matthew 28.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm assuming, yeah, I have Matthew 28 pulled up because I'm assuming that's where you're getting it from. Yeah. But, but here's, I, I guess the reason why I'm asking where are you getting it from? is because let's look at Matthew 28 19 assuming this is where you are getting from so jesus said therefore go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit read that again baptizing them in the name singular of the father son holy spirit it does not say baptizing them in the names plural as if there's multiple names for each one this verse does not tell us anything about these the father son and holy spirit having three distinct names this tells us that the father son and holy spirit have a single name that they all share there's one name that this doesn't tell us you know what you know it's not giving us the exact name that, that this is referring to but i think it's it's you know the yahweh the name of god jehovah uh, but it, it's whatever name you might think that this is referencing. It's it's a single name of God that is shared by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So nothing nothing about this verse indicates or teaches that there um, that the Holy Spirit would have a distinct name that we must discover in, hidden in the Bible somewhere. And so so bef- so I guess I, I would just want to leave that there. I'm not going to try to answer what the name of the Holy Spirit is until it can be displayed that we should be able to answer that. Go ahead, Edgar.
2: I just want to mention one thing on the point that you you were talking about, Matthew 28, you brought up a really good point that it's a name. And that's very important because these are things that members overlook. So, if the, you know, they're asking questions like, well, what's the name of the Holy Spirit? Obviously, because they're what they're trying to point to is Hong is the name of the Holy Spirit. So my question to you is, I asked you a question right back. In the book of Acts, when the apostles who were taught by Jesus to baptize, all nations, making them disciples, and He told them baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Why the apostles were uh, baptizing people in, in the name of Jesus? They never said Father. Son, they didn't say the name of Jehovah. They just they were baptizing people in the name of Jesus. And the, either they're either they're wrong or something's going on they must not be true they didn't care about jesus words or was it that what jesus meant by the name not plural and mentioning father son holy spirit is because god knows it's three in one that's the trinity right so by baptizing in jesus name that's part of the trinity that's the Godhead. That's what name you're supposed to be baptized in. Jesus is the representative of the Trinity while he was on the earth. So that that would be my take on it.
1: That's a really yeah. that's that's actually one of the yeah, things that really I because they have a subject called be baptized immediately. And I know there's an example that I, I forget the, the verse now, but where they, they show about um they, they show I can't remember now, but but that's exactly what you just said in that um, you know, they were baptized in the name of, of Jesus. You didn't see him baptized in the name of Jesus and Yahweh, you saw him being baptized in the name of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And then, even in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, which is another verse they show, it says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It doesn't say in mm-hmm. the name of Jehovah, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Holy Spirit, right. it says in the name of Jesus, right? Yep. So
0: Yeah, Edgar, I think that's a, that's a great, great point. Like the, you know, Colossians and Ephesians or Colossians and um, maybe it is Ephesians and, and Hebrews, it talks about how in different ways that Jesus is the, you know, he's the image of the invisible God and the exact representation of his nature. And Jesus is the, the Logos. He's the word of God. He's the, the representative. And he says, if you've seen me, you have seen the father, things like that. And so, so father, son, and Holy spirit are, if they are one, then to be, you know, Kaylee in the comments said, but the son's name is Jesus. And that's kind of exactly the point. That's the exact point that Edgar's making, that to be baptized in the name of Jesus is to be baptized in the name of, of God, who exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, so again, yeah, this is a, there, if you go back to Matthew, which seems to be the basis for this idea that we need to come up with a name of the Holy Spirit that's distinct from the name of Jesus and the name of the Father, Well, I think Matthew 28 shows us that there's a name, singular. There's a name. There's not names. There's not three different names that uh, Matthew 28 says we must be baptized in or baptized in. And then another great point, again, obviously that Edgar just brought up, is that when you actually see that being carried out, you see the disciples carrying that out. They're baptizing in the name of Jesus. So... If you're right, if you are right, and and there is a name of the Holy Spirit that we are supposed to be baptized in, that there is a distinct name of the Father, a distinct name of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, if there are three names, then it would seem that the uh, apostles were disobedient and that they did not baptize people in those three Three names that they just baptize people in the name of Jesus, or at
1: least in the two names, right? Because they would argue that you know at least yeah, yeah, you didn't know Long Song Kong
0: yet, but yes, right.
1: Because I don't see one one verse in the Bible where in the New Testament where it says people were baptized in the name Jehovah and Jesus. This is just Jesus, right?
0: Yep. Okay. Here, uh, another good question kind of relates to this. Uh, Emily Rodriguez said they also said that we are living in the age of the Holy Spirit and that we should be baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. What are your thoughts on that?
1: So I responded to that one. I said, you know, they, I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but they said, I mean, the church says that we are living in the age of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, the church says we need to be baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. But like that subject, Savior of each age in the new name, they don't have like, with the exception of that first part, they don't have any verses to back up that, to, that we have to be baptized that we must pray in the name of the holy spirit that we should witness to the name of the holy spirit they don't have verses to back this up you just basically show examples between the time of you know the old testament and the new testament and say well now we're living in the age of the holy spirit so now we have to do this but they don't have any bible verses to back
0: that up yeah and
2: right um you Real know quick, right home. now i'm
0: posting Hold on real quick. I'm posting in the comments a video I made a couple of years ago on the different ages. Uh, and so that you can check that out sometime if you want. Uh, sorry, Edgar, go ahead.
2: Uh, yeah, ch- check that video out. Jordan got some good stuff on, on his channel. I was watching your, your video earlier on the on the debate with the Calvinist. That was, that was good content, man.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That was a fun sure. conversation.
2: Um, you know, let me know when I can share this uh, message yeah. of King David. I'm so eager to, to share yeah. this.
0: Well, let me, I think we could, let's just get to that here in a minute. I think what I, I would just say kind of to what Kelsey just said at, um, in response to Emily, your question is, is yeah, my, my question to your question would just be where where do you or where do they get that There is an age of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're in. Where where are they getting this idea that there is a division of ages and that, you know, now in this age that we can no longer be saved through the name of Jesus? Where biblically, how can that be proven um, would be my question. So. And I don't think it is. I don't think that's biblical. I don't I don't see anything in the Bible that that would. You know, going back to these verses Edgar mentioned in Hebrews earlier where it talks about how Christ's sacrifice was once for all, that what Jesus did was once for all, that it, it was this one-time thing for all time, it, indicating that nothing more needed to be added. There was not a need for another age where where more would be added to the salvation that Jesus provided. Um, so... Yeah, I just, and, and, and I think I know what you're pulling up, Edgar, so <laughs> go for it. Yeah.
2: So this is this is the Green Book written by Aung San Hong, right? So in, chap, in chapter 12 about the Trinity, I want to give, you know, what better discussion to have than let's see the, the founder of the church, what his um, ideas or, or, you know, doctrine was considered concerning the last age of the age of the holy spirit so in, uh, in the chapter 12 about the trinity in page this should be page 87 in, in this edition of this book um it's right under the page starts out with acts chapter 4 11 through 12 and then matthew 121 underneath it so i want you to get there jordan
0: uh, you can go ahead. I got the book that I don't that has the Korean in it, so it's okay. harder to find. But, but go ahead. I know exactly where you're going, so I'll find it. Yeah.
2: So in in chapter chapter twelve, page eighty seven in my edition, this is Ansan Hong's words. Now there are many false Christs who say I am the Christ, and Jesus prophesied that false Christ would appear in the last. Days, right? Age of the Holy Spirit. However, salvation is found in no other name than Jesus, not only at his first coming, but even in the last days.
1: That's one of my favorite
2: things he wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? So I agree with him. I agree with him. To that, I would say amen. There's no other Savior's name. There's no age of the Holy Spirit. An San Hong never taught about uh, age of the Holy Spirit with a new name. It doesn't say. He taught that it was one name of one Savior in his time and even in the last days, and it's Jesus Christ.
0: Yep. Yep. And I know know what they'd respond with uh, what they'd use to respond to that, and it, it would be, you know, passages I think from Isaiah where it says you know, talking about Jehovah or or Yahweh, where he says, I am, I am God, you know, there's no savior beside me. And so their argument is that, okay, well, Jehovah's saying there's no savior beside himself, but yet Jesus is a savior. And so they kind of say, well, that's the same thing going on. That's all Aung San Hong was, Aung San Hong was saying the same thing. So that that's what they used to bring it up. Now, the problem with that is that Ong Song Hong didn't say anything like that. Ong Song Hong didn't say there's no savior besides Jesus in the last days. Because if that's what he said, I wouldn't be bringing up that quote because I could see how you could still bring Ong Song Hong into the picture. Because if he just said there's no savior besides Jesus in the last days, well, you could just say, well, it's still Jesus is still the savior. It's just he's using a different name. And I would say, okay, that doesn't really contradict what Aung Song Hong said, but that's not what Aung Song Hong said. He didn't say like Isaiah says that there's no savior beside Jesus. He said there's no name beside Jesus in the last days. Those are entirely different things. Okay. So uh, that's, that's the response I've gotten more times than I can count to when I bring up that quote. And so I'm just saying that that doesn't work. That response doesn't work. That's still a huge problem. From Ong from Song Kong himself, Um he taught salvation can only be found in Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, even in the last days. That's a huge thing. And I'm shocked. Honestly, I'm shocked that the WMSCOG has not removed that. And, so if they come out with the new probably, version, and check
1: yeah, it, guys. Chapter 12. Check
0: it. Yeah. Check that new version because we've talked about this a lot. So it seems probably like it's only a matter of time before they take that quote out. So, yeah. All right. Kelsey, did we have anything else? Or, uh, oh, Edgar, did you get to the, you still wanted to talk about King David, right? Before we wrap. Okay. So,
3: yeah.
0: I think we could, we should probably get to that and then we will, we'll wrap it up with that. So, Edgar has some, some things he wanted to share real quick about uh, King David. And so, Edgar, Jordan, we still got
1: two wait. more hours. We usually do
0: five. Yeah, I know. I don't think I can do it. <laughs> this is
1: gonna be a
2: short one for people. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make it short and sweet. I promise. I'm, I'm gonna try my best. Um, so again, the reason I'm addressing these things is because they were Melchizedek and King David were the two main points that uh, Oscar and uh, David kept bringing up over and over and over. And I thought, what better way? Than to answer the questions then on live, you know, and I was hoping that they would, you know, join and that they could Mm -hmm. conversate and everything. But because they they couldn't for whatever reason, I'm going to give the answer instead of just typing it to where only a few people can see it, the whole world can see and examine for themselves, you know, what, what, what side they stand on. Um, but you know the prophecy of king david basically they you know they start off saying that the Bible is a book of prophecy, and that you know jesus is the is the spiritual king david he is, he is David, and that you know uh he appeared in the last days and he needs to reign for you know he he had to reign for thirty seven years and he brought the everlasting covenant, and how on Hong matched the you know perfectly he was Baptized at 30, reigned for 40. And so the first question that I want to bring up is, why does the Bible call Jesus the root or the offspring of David? In other words, it's wordplay. When you're learning this prophecy, they tell you that Jesus is, without a shadow of a doubt, King David. The Bible does not say Jesus is spiritual David. It tells you over and over that Jesus is the root, the offspring of David why is that significant because it's not telling you that Jesus is David but that Jesus is a descendant of the bloodline of David and so let's look at a few of those verses in Revo- like Revelation chapter 22 this is one of the verses they use to prove that Jesus is spiritual David in Revelation chapter 22 verse 16 it says I Jesus have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright one. So they use this verse to say that Jesus is David. But as we're seeing here, the Bible doesn't call Jesus David. It says he's the root and the offspring of David. And when you look up the definition of root or offspring, again, it's a, it's a tracing of the bloodline or the, the descent that your ancestors the I was telling you that that uh, Jesus is a descendant. There. That's that's important to understand because we're going to go back to that. Um, and then in Revelation chapter five is another one. Revelation chapter five, and in verse in verse five, then one of the elders said to me, "Do not weep. See the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, the Root of David has." He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So here again, the Bible mentions that Jesus is the root of David, not David himself. And so that's very important to understand. Again, we're going we're gonna to get to that. But uh, now I want to focus on the, the, where they get the so-called prophecy of David. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 5.
1: All verses that the Church of God uses, by the way. Oh yeah,
2: they love these verses. Second Samuel chapter five, and this is when they start telling you that um, this is where the prophecy comes from. It says here in verse in verse three, it says, "When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the King made a covenant with them." at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he became king, and he reigned forty years. There you go. That's their main verse to say that this is a prophecy that this has to be fulfilled in the last days because of this verse that says when which is explaining a part of King David's life. And it right. has no foreshadowing. It's not telling you. The funny thing is when you look at prophecies of Jesus at his first coming, you know, there's verses that, that's giving you like a future tense, you know, a child will be born. He will be called, right? You have prophecies like he will be. Born in Bethlehem, right? You have verses like Isaiah fifty-three, where it says he will suffer, he's gonna be broken, he's gonna all these things. You can see the foreshadowing. They're talking about the future, as to where Ansang Hong's prophecies are not even prophecies at all. This isn't talking about the future. They just pick something now out, out of David's life because there's many things that he did, but they chose this one because when they do the math, they can add it up to say, oh, An San Hong fulfilled this most important prophecy of it. But actually even being anointed at the age of 30, look it up in world history. That was not strange. That was actually most people that were anointed or baptized was at the age of 30. That's what they considered like being an adult, uh, a man. So age 30 was not anything significant. So David was baptized at 30 and he reigned for four years. This is where they get their prophecy. But I want to make it clear that when you look at a prophecy like this compared to the ones of Jesus, this is very vague at best. It has no foreshadowing. It's not going into into the future there's just they're picking out something of David's life and so, uh the other part is the way that they say that uh, that Jesus Christ is the is the spiritual king David the way that has to he has to be like the David in order to fulfill that prophecy is they say that he he brought the covenant that's their main argument. Besides the the history part of it being thirty and reigning for forty, they say that what really the sign of David is what they call it is they say King David was promised a covenant, and it was it was the God's love for David that David would bring the covenant into the world, and so they say that this covenant was brought by Jesus, who is the spiritual David. He brought this covenant. But let's look at the verse that they used to explain that in Isaiah chapter 55. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 3, it says, Give ear and come to me, listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. So their point here is they say this everlasting covenant was only promised to David. So the spiritual David is going to be the one who, brings this everlasting covenant. This covenant has to be brought by true David. They say David has to show the ID card of the everlasting covenant. Whoever comes with that ID card of the everlasting covenant has to be the spiritual king, David. And so obviously they're going to connect this to the Passover. Um, what's funny about this is that the Bible never mentioned that we that we have to uh, believe that Jesus is the spiritual King David. The Bible says that Jesus is a descendant of David. And that's actually the prophecy. And the thing is we can under, I never understood why even the members brought this up when they were talking about you know the order of Melchizedek. They're so quick to read Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter three that talks about the genealogy of Jesus. Right, and so they bring it up, talk about you know genealogy and their argument. But what's funny is, have you ever asked yourself why is the genealogy so important, and why was it mentioned in the Gospels? Why did Matthew write a full account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, and in Luke chapter three, another account of Jesus the Messiah, even though they're a little bit different? One, the uh, with, what is it, Matthew is. See, yeah, Matthew traces the the bloodline of Jesus to through Joseph's line, and many uh, and scholars say that in the book of Luke, it's actually Mary's bloodline. But the reason why this is important to understand is why was this even mentioned? Well, when you look at verse 1, it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David the son of Abraham. And then in verse 6, and Jesse, the father of King David. So you see the point of why they're bringing up these genealogies in, in the Gospels and why it's so important is because the prophecy was actually not about 40 and, and uh, anointed at 30, but it was actually that a descendant of King David was going to sit on the throne and rule. That's what Daniel prophesied about, and that's what the Old Testament prophets prophesied about. And it's important to understand this is, this is actually the prophecy of David. Now, concerning why the Church of God brings up Isaiah chapter 55 that we read over, they say, well, now that they got you thinking, the whole prophecy of David is the 30 and the, and and that he's the spiritual David. Now they're going to now it's easy for people to understand. Okay, so if he's the spiritual David, he has to bring the everlasting covenant that was promised to David. David was promised a covenant, right? And so they say this is the Passover. Well, now it's time to see what the Bible say is the covenant that was promised to David, God's faithful love promised to David. Let's see in the in the book of Psalms.
1: I just want to point out while, while you're going to that verse too, another kind of just kind of piggybacking off of that. You know, one of the things that they said is that when we show that, you know, there was only David can sit on David's throne, right? So that's why, you know, yeah. Jesus, he's receiving the throne of David. So he has to be the spiritual King David. But when you look at First Kings chapter 2, it says first kings chapter 2 verse 12 says so solomon sat on the throne of his father david so i mean it's just little thing like, like just you know like what you've been mentioning this whole time you know mm-hmm. you know you're encouraging people to to look at the context in which stuff is written and look in and yeah, around right. the verses because it's the little things it's that only, they say like yeah. that sentence right is not biblically accurate
0: right and that's so. one that they had they would they would say in like a question right like
1: yeah
3: yeah. yeah,
0: like like Little it's David's like throne, that. so only David can sit on the throne, right? Like who who can sit on David's throne? David, yeah. right? right? Well, and Solomon and Rehoboam and all the other kings who, who yeah. sat on David's right, throne, right?
2: Because they're they're of their roots of David, they're of the bloodline that was actually the right. prophecy. And so now my main point is this: because what they say is the main sign that connects David and Am home is that. Uh Aung San Hong brought the love promised to David, which was the covenant. Well, let's see if the Bible actually teaches that a covenant made between David and God had anything to do with the Passover. Let's look at the book of Psalms, chapter 89. Psalms, chapter 89, from verse 2. It says, I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faith in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Verse 24. My faithful love will be with him and through my and through my name his horn will be exalted verse 28 I will maintain my love to him ever and my covenant with him will never fail I will establish his line forever his throne as long as the heavens endure verse 33 But I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. And last verse, verse 49, Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? So when we when we look at a book like Psalms chapter 89, it leaves no room for doubt. The covenant that was promised to King David, his faithful love, that everlasting covenant, where that. His Messiah one coming certain yeah, not forty years, not having anything to do with thirty. It was that King David, his his from his bloodline would come the Messiah who would reign on the throne forever. And that's that's been fulfilled. And if you read the book of Hebrews, you'll understand what Apostle Paul was trying to say about Melchizedek and Jesus. Jesus is the high priest who sat at the right hand of God, who's reigning on the throne right now as we speak. He was the one that was given all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus was the culmination of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And so that's that's what, you know, to kind of speed up a little bit, that's what I want, wanted to mention so about King David's also, prophecy.
1: One thing I want to point out, too, just to kind of close the, the King David chapter, is that uh, one of the, the things that the Church of God says is the the sure sign by which we can recognize second coming Christ when he comes as King David is that he must bring the Passover, right? That the Passover mm-hmm. is this eternal everlasting covenant. But King David never kept the Passover, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. not 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 as recorded in the Bible, anyways. Yeah, yeah. not as
1: recorded in the Bible. So how yeah. is the something that King David, you know, a man never after God's never heart, the sure sign by which we can recognize Second Coming Christ when he comes as King David? It's just it.
0: Yeah, doesn't make Seems sense. It's problematic. But yeah, it, that's yeah. that's a huge thing concerning the supposed yeah, David that prophecy that there's an emphasis on obviously by the World Mission Society Church of God that that the Messiah, the Christ, he would reign, you know, this 40-year prophecy that he supposedly had to fulfill. But where do you – the only prophecies you see about a length of time that the Christ would reign, it's not only here, but it's in many other prophecies. It talks about his reign, his throne enduring forever as the sun and and the moon. It's – his. His reign is established forever. So there, there's there's no prophecy that says Christ would reign for forty years. That there's some sort of forty year mark that Aung Song Hong had to come and finish up because Jesus only fulfilled three years of that. Yeah. Uh, th- no, that's not in there. Jesus is said that he, it's in Ephesians says he, he's seated at the right hand of God. He sat down. And so he's reigning now, is what the New Testament teaches. And that reign is said to endure, last forever, not 40 years. So, so right at the beginning, right at the forefront, the supposed Ong Song Hong's, you know, King David 40 year prophecy is entirely debunked, I think, J- just from that, those passages, those verses you pulled up from Psalm
2: 89. And, uh, you know, one one more thing I want to mention since we brought that up in uh, First Corinthians chapter 15, since you were bringing up about the rain, also a very important part because, again, they cut Jesus short by saying that Jesus' reign was cut that when he died his reign stopped right but that's not biblical at all even that's what the pharisees yeah. understood about you know jesus christ claiming to be the messiah they said we have heard from the law that the messiah would remain forever right so in first corinthians chapter 15 let's see paul's understanding of this and and you know they say remember it's the rain jesus his reign stopped. Even they mentioned that in common. Jesus didn't reign for uh, 40 years. He only reigned for three. That's what you're taught to say in the sermon. Right. we we'll look in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse, 24, verse 23. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he has over the kingdom to God the Father. After he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it's clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. So here the Bible is giving us a clear understanding that Apostle Paul understood that the Messiah has to reign For he must, in verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. My question is, is death destroyed? It's not, right? People are still dying. It says Jesus will reign until death is destroyed. And that's actually, not only does this verse break down their ideology of modalism, because it's clearly telling you that the son is going to give the kingdom To his father, he gives that back to him at the last day, and which is actually a parallel prophecy, a mated prophecy to the book of Daniel chapter 7, when it says that the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, was led in the presence of the Ancient of Days, and then he was given glory, authority, and power, and a kingdom, right? So this is in Daniel's vision, he saw when Jesus was receiving the kingdom, from the Ancient of Days, which 1 Corinthians 15 clearly tells us it's God the Father. The reason I want to make that clear is because when we used to study Daniel 7, I heard from pastors and missionaries tell us when members would ask, well, if the Son of Man is Jesus in Daniel 7, who is the Ancient of Days that was there with him? I thought We're, it's one. And their answer was, the Ancient of Days is Mother. I heard that, and I was taught that multiple times by different leaders. So I never understood how and why I took their word for it. Now that I'm really understanding the Bible, I'm seeing Daniel is directly connected to 1 Corinthians 15, and it tells you that that Ancient of Days that handed the kingdom over to Jesus in Daniel's vision, it calls him by name here, God the Father. So it's not a mother it was of the yeah, Father bro, who gave the, the Son of Man the kingdom. And so Jesus established that kingdom 2,000 years ago when he came in the flesh. So Jesus brought the kingdom. The kingdom is not something that can be observed with spiritual Bible says. And it says in Revelation chapter 1 that we, are, we were created to be built into priests and in his kingdom. So when you come to Christ, you're entering a kingdom that Jesus brought 2,000 years ago. What's fascinating about First Corinthians chapter 15 is that it's talking about the culmination. At the last day, the kingdom that was originally given to him by God the Father, at the last day, Jesus hands it back to who? The one who gave it to him. Why? Because at that moment, he's handing the kingdom, all the saved, back into the Father. That's that's heaven. That's the last moment. That's the culmination of the kingdom. And it's, it's just, it's so amazing. You know, it's so easy to understand the Bible now after you take that veil off and start to, you know, study it for yourself. And, it's, it, and you know, even this is connected to Revelation 21 that they say is about God the mother. No, it's not. When the kingdom of God comes in Revelation 21, it's connected to First Corinthians chapter fifteen, the verse we just read. It says no until he has put his enemies on everything under his feet, and then it says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Well, what happens in Revelation twenty-one when the King of God comes down? It says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Revelation twenty-one four. For the old order of things has passed away. There is no longer any what death. Death is destroyed at the moment that the kingdom comes to an end, a conclusion. That's when God swallows up death forever. And and just like that, you see a perfect harmony from the Old Testament Daniel and the New Testament Corinthians, even to the, the last, you know, book of the Bible revelation. And it's just so amazing. But you'll never see this if you're just always constantly looking at the Bible with these lenses and you're you're basically you, you traded away your free will and you just all you know about the Bible is the script that had. Nothing.
0: Yeah. If nothing else, if you get nothing else from this video and what we've talked about, what you should at, at least get is that the WMSCOG's arguments and doctrines are not biblical and cannot be biblically defended against against people who look at it and honestly examine it um so if if your reasons for staying in the wmscog is because you feel that they are they have like a monopoly on understanding the bible um don't don't let that be the reason you stay because i think what edgar's shown uh repeatedly in this video is that you can look at the bible And when you actually examine the context, you examine it with um, a unbiased view going in. You're not reading your own preconceived doctrines and beliefs into it, but you're just trying to understand what did the author actually intend to communicate here. Uh, You're not going to get the doctrines of the WMSCOG. You're just not. Um, You have to be told. Before you go into the Bible, what to get out of it if you're going to get those doctrines. But if you just pick it up and and read it, you're not going to get Mother God. You're not going to get Ong Song Hong prophecy, uh, nothing like that. And so I hope if nothing else, you you can see that um, if you're staying in again because of you think the Bible teaches the the Mother God doctrine, the WMSCOG doctrine, um, I, I hope you see that that is not the case. Okay. Well, with that, this has been a, a really fun conversation and, and a lot of good questions. Kelsey, I know you've kind of been the one monitoring most of the live chat. So is there anything we yeah. missed that you want to cover before we stop?
1: Um, there. Well, there's one person who says they have a question, but um, they need a few minutes. So maybe that one person, if you want to put the question in the the comments, the comments of this video now. like the actual comments not the live chat comments and um, then we can try to address then um, but one thing I want to I want to share before we close this is um, because one of the questions that I get asked a lot is like um, like a kind of like about like the healing process of leaving this group right because mm-hmm. it's not I mean it is it, one thing to, to to physically leave but it's like all the emotional impact and the psychological impact afterwards right and so one thing that has really helped me recently that just came out is this really great podcast, um, called playing in traffic. It's on, um, it's on Spotify. I don't think it's on Apple. It's only on Spotify right now, but you don't need like to pay for Spotify to be able to see it. But I was just going to
0: mention this Kelsey. So yeah, it's and Jordan, you were
1: on it. You were on it not too long ago too. Yours was, yours yep. was great. Um, uh, but it's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's a podcast or in their season two. And, um, like for me, this, this podcast has been really healing to listen to because they even have a whole episode on healing. Cause it's, they go through like the bite model and how, um, you know, the, the church that they belong to fit that bite model. And, um, again, healing. And it's also from the perspective, not only of a former, um, member, like a former, like, um, cult member, but also their, their family member as well. So perspectives of like both mm-hmm. sides. So, um, so yeah, like, I mean, I've, you know, I've listened to a ton of stuff from former members, but this in particular really stands out to me because it's like you, you hear and see so many different perspectives. So I highly recommend, I can't recommend it enough. And if you want to share like your story and you want to share it anonymously, it's a great like tool for that as well. So, um, if you check again, it's called playing in traffic and it's available on like Spotify. So they have their contact reach out to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I listened to it on Apple Podcasts, so you can find it oh, on those okay, podcast cool. platforms. But but yeah, I was just interviewed for that. And so full disclosure, I am very open with with them in that interview. And I I, you know, one of the questions they asked me about was how um, doing this, interviewing members, if it's impacted my faith personally. And so I, I kind of open up about that because the honest answer to that question is yes, it has in a lot of ways. Um, dealing with cults has really made me, you know, one of the things I told them is as I've been on these videos saying, you guys really need to, you know, do your research, think about what you're believing in. Don't just believe something because you've been taught it. Uh, and, and and that's just what you've always believed. And, and so saying that over the past several years, um, has, has been like a mirror in my face saying, if you're going to tell other people this, you, you have to do the same thing and apply that to yourself. (laughs) So, yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting season of of um, really examining my own beliefs and putting a lot of basically everything up on the table and, and and trying to figure out, OK, what what needs to stay and what needs to go. And there's been some things that have stayed. There's been some things that have been been thrown out. And so anyways, I'm just saying that to say full disclosure, as you listen to that, it is a, a pretty open um, uh confession of a struggle of faith and so hopefully that doesn't freak people out too much Um, but it 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 was a lot of fun it was a really fun conversation
1: it 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 makes you like i i know like um i I know a bunch of people listen to your episode and it, it even people who like they've left the group or they have family members in the group who aren't necessarily religious they really appreciate how authentic you are in in sharing those struggles so
0: yeah yeah that's good that's good. Yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, so that that podcast is, I think, you know, there's also I, I, I've i never mentioned this one, too, but there's also the Simple Christian Podcast. Um, yeah. Uh, another podcast. Uh, yeah. And he interviews former members. So any, you know, that really those two and then Great Light Studios are the only you know, there might be more out there, but those are kind of the, the main ones I'm aware of that are Obviously there's, there's the website, there's the examining site and stuff like that. But I think anything right now, any platform, ministry, whatever it is, that's, that's, dealing specifically with this group, I think needs to be supported. Um, and so continue to support, you know, not just us, but other, other groups as well, because the word needs to get out there, um, more and more because this group messes up people's lives, it messes up families, it messes up marriages, uh, and so, yeah, anything we can do to help, um, is great. So check out that podcast again, it's playing in traffic. So, uh, any last thoughts, Edgar, Kelsey, as we, as we say, good night.
1: Thanks for uh, sticking with us. I mean,
2: yeah. Yeah. So I, I have, I have a few, uh, final thoughts that I, I want to mention is like one is also that, uh, I do plan on uh, making creating a, my own YouTube channel, and uh, you know I encourage everybody to come check it out. I'm gonna. The reason why I'm gonna do this is well because there's a lot of people that called me personally, and there's a lot of like you know people like fanic people that don't speak English that are that are mm-hmm. you know stuck in, in this cult, and a lot of people that I've met through the years and you know, I'm able to speak Spanish so I wanna deliver, you know, a lot oh, of content wow, and yeah. in, in Spanish to to help them out as well. I think, you know, the more awareness we can bring to the better like like you said everyone that's you know in this field it's important to you know to, yeah. to help everyone and i'm also going to focus on you know obviously i'm going to speak a lot on the world mission section because i was a part of it i know the ins and outs of it but i also want to talk about you know uh other other cults you know other groups and you know help people out you know the, generally that's what's on my heart and you know that's what i i want to dedicate my life to so you know stay stay tuned and you know hopefully you know uh, get some good content out there
0: yeah that's great i literally like probably two days ago at at the most was thinking man i need i wish i could find somebody who spoke spanish because i know yeah. there's a huge crowd for that of people that that want that content yeah. that need that and i have no ability obviously to do that but i i I've thought, how could I like create a second channel or something that's just for that that crowd? So I'm so glad to hear that you, you will do that.
1: I've had Um, a lot of people reach out to me asking for Spanish content because they want to share with like their family who is, you know, in the church and, um, but they're, they don't speak English. So yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. That's great. All right, guys. Well, thanks for, yeah. Thanks for sticking with us in this. We'll be doing more of these in the future. Uh, thank you for, um, yeah, comment, comment on this video. If you, if you feel so inclined, that does again, help the traction of the video get out again, if you want to help the best way you can help support us to continue doing these videos is, is joining the monthly Patreon, um, patreon.com slash great light studios and i am posting trying to do do it more but i you'll get like exclusive content sometimes and like behind the scenes pictures and and i'm going to try to post more more stuff that you're you're not going to get like on the the main great light studios channel but if you join patreon um you'll, you'll get some of that content i've also thought about creating like a a private discord community or something whether whether it's for Patreon members or just open to any former member. Um, I've had uh, some requests for something like that recently. So yeah, lots of stuff um ho- hoping to do in the future, but um, been a good time. Thank you everybody. And we will see you next time.
2: Thank you. All right. Have a good night.